Hello everybody and welcome to the 114th edition of the Chronicles of Podcast. And these, these right here are the Chronicles of Ron Neverson. It is I, the bearded Brummy Jamie, and joining me as always, as always, it's this handsome fella right here. Scotsman Tom, what's going on everybody? Welcome to the final interview of 2023 and welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast. Hit. There. You're about to enjoy the Chronicles of Tom and Jamie. Hi everyone, I'm Kevin Matten. Hey guys, my name's Annabelle Knight. Hello, this is Becky Baldwin. Hello, I'm Chesney. Hey, what's up everyone? This is Brayden from Say We Can Fly. This is Ron Nevison, and I'm on the Chronicles of Podcast with Jamie and Tom. So you better listen in. Deserves to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Anyone got a shop there? Anyone there, Sharpner? Honestly, I'm fine, I promise. <laughs> this week, we welcome record producer and engineer Ron Neverson. I'm not joking when I say this was a dream guest for myself. Ron has worked with so many incredible artists. The Who, Led Zeppelin, Heart, Kiss, and so many more. Responsible for some of the biggest songs in rock's history, like most iconic songs and albums. This is amazing. This is great. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, this is one of those pinch yourself moments. Uh, but the key word you said was dream guest for Jamie. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, I'm still, I'm still waiting. I just, I just, uh, no, I'm joking. I'm kidding. Uh, no, this is absolutely amazing. Uh, Ron is an absolute legend of the highest order, um, and this interview is just what a way to cap off our 2023 yeah. um, with with Ron. <laughs> I just, I don't quite know how else to. I don't think any adjectives or words will actually justify just how incredible this interview is. No. Nope. Um, so what I'm going to do instead is Jamie. Yes, sir. Do you happen to have any finale words at all? All my finale words will be is a massive thank you to Mr. Neverson. It means the absolute world you're coming on this week. Thank you for telling us all your wonderful stories, sir. Yes, and we look forward to having you once again. Thank you, Ron, for spending time with us. It was just a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Uh, But most importantly, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen... Interviewing this week, it's Ron Nevison. Ladies and gentlemen, this week we bring you a very special guest. A man who's worked in some of the biggest records, the biggest artists in the history of rock and roll. Including artists like, I know, The Who, Led Zeppelin, Kiss, Meatloaf. And he even worked on the Power Rangers movie soundtrack. How awesome is that? He's a Grammy Award nominated audio engineer and record producer, a man who on his website has an accolade I will long for in life, saying with, with a quote from Paul Stanley saying, he's a cool guy. Ladies and gents, ladies and thems, put your hands together as we bring you the chronicles of Ron Neverson. Very nice. I'm very jealous of that Paul Stanley quote. <laughs> so jealous. I was reading it earlier. I was like, I want that. I want Paul Stanley to say I'm a cool guy. It's not fair. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, when I went on the site Sound Better, uh, you know, they wanted 
they wanted to have an interview. They wanted to have quotes from other people. I pretty much wasn't expecting all of that, but I had to comply to go along with the the what is now the standard in terms of these these kind of uh, um, things. And so um, then when I did a bunch of uh, uh, got a bunch of quotes from people, they weren't verified because they weren't part of their sound better system. It was a little frustrating. Yeah. Well, Stanley, you need to qualify that, you know. What? <laughs> yeah, oh. really. That's what, what I was thinking. What a weird world we live in. <laughs> but, I, I, but I've met a, a, a bunch of great people on Sound Better, and uh, I get, you know, a fair amount of business. Uh, I'm still <clears throat> mixing away up in my home studio upstairs and uh, doing, doing, still doing work, uh, even though I'm confined uh, to a house in in Washington state with my um, a kind of um, single parent with a 12 year old in seventh grade here. So it's only so far I can go. So, um, yeah. Oh, well, um, Ron, anyway. I want to, I want to, yeah. I want to bring it back a little bit, just a very serious <laughs> image for the past few years. The pandemic obviously caused absolute hell across the entire world. How was it for you and your line of work? Hmm, well, it stopped musicians from doing gigs, which means they couldn't pay for their music to be made. Uh, a lot of my uh, work these days is from musicians and uh, not from record companies. Uh, and so especially doing classic rock, um, <laughs> uh, it's not uh, the mainstream stuff I used to do where no one even asked me for a budget. They were, I think, too afraid, you know. But uh, so, yeah, that 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 stopped. Interestingly, it stopped the flow of cash to musicians that, that could pay. The, the upside was, I guess, it increased my downloads because people are sitting around downloading music mm. and downloading film. Uh, so uh, it, it was hard to, and people are also sitting around writing songs uh, nothing much else to do pick up a guitar and uh, get get to your keyboard and and do that so there was a big influx of of music when that when the pandemic pandemic kind of subsided uh, i also uh started writing a book but Ooh. so did everybody else yeah <laughs> <laughs> Mother so the book, the book is is pretty much a third finished, and uh, um, it takes me from my early days up to around the year two thousand, up to Meatloaf. Takes me from the Who to Meatloaf. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> and I can, the fact you're only a third of the way through as well shows well, how many I, stories. I mean, <laughs> I, the, the, you know, uh, yeah, I didn't fill in the blanks of relationships and uh, I just really did a, a kind of an outline. Yeah. A, a question I like, I like to ask all of our guests is, is to take us back to when you were really young, young master Neverson, you could say, what did you want to be when you were growing up in your more formative years? Is, 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 is it music always been that path for you or is it something completely different? Great fucking question. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, I was drawing a lot. I mean, I'm talking about 
seven years old, eight years old, six years old. And my teacher noticed in my school and wrote on my report card, Ronnie is, has, you know, great drawing qualities, you know, artistic talent. And there's a Saturday program at, at art school at the Temple University in Philadelphia, where I brought, when I was brought up, uh, that would be great for him. So my mom took me to this art school on a Saturday for like two hours or something in the afternoon. And uh, uh, there was a choir next door. Now, I have to, I have to say that my mom uh, was uh, a piano teacher, and she um, worked also at the Philadelphia Conservatory of Music, which is one of the big schools next to Juilliard, probably the, the second biggest music school uh, in the U.S. And, and so uh, there was that. I never wanted my mom to teach me, though, you know, <laughs> just your mom teaching you the piano. No, <laughs> but but I was interested in the choir because I thought I had a pretty good voice. And so I switched to choir. And so at the same time, I was really interested in and I was always fascinated with wireless. How the hell did something get from the radio station to my radio mm. really intrigued me thought like what is what's my you know how <laughs> and um and so i was working with crystal radios i don't know if you know, even know what a crystal radio was but in 19 like 54 or something like that raytheon came out with a ck722 transistor and Popular Electronics had like a schematic for building a radio. And I really got into that and saved my allowance up. And I guess the, what I'm trying to say is music and electronics were my things that I was interested in as a kid. So it really doesn't surprise me that I've had a career of music and electronics. <laughs> because I was a soloist for the Temple University Boys Choir. Uh, unfortunately, there's... In those days, there was no iPhone, so you, everybody didn't record everything. So I don't have any actual uh, footage of any of the two or three years I was in the choir. Just mm -hmm. a bunch of, you know, a few photos of it, but nothing, you know, no recordings, which is a shame. But um won't be the same for my daughter. I like that, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. So that's that's my my youth. Uh, you know, somewhere around twelve or thirteen, I decided that a robe wasn't suitable for a little boy to walk around in. You know, a choir robe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I I ditched, and I ditched the choir. But where did that look? You obviously to do what you do, you need to have that love of music because everyone can say, "Oh, I love music. I listen to it all the time." But then to want to dedicate your life and your career to, you've got to love music. Did that come from like your mom and what she was doing, or was it from like outside influences? What you were well, doing? my my dad died suddenly when I was sixteen, which distracted my mom away from you know raising her two kids. I had an older brother too, and so I'm not sure. Um, I think that I grew up in a great time. You know, I was born in 1945. So by 1965, uh, uh, when Rubber Soul came out and when, you know, all these, I was total Beatles 
addict. Um, my mom did not let me play the Beatles in my house on the stereo. Why? At one stereo. Well, she didn't like the Beatles. You know, she's classical. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, um, still had radios. Had my radio in my room. Used to get under the covers with my headphones and just like you are under the covers there. <laughs> um, and so, uh, um, yeah. Uh, I, so I guess what I was saying is, um, if you look at 1965 to 1970, from the time I was 15 to the time I was 20, wait, 50, 45, 50, I was 60, 65, I was 20 to 25. Uh, those are the years that I started really searching out uh, a, a means to an end for mm -hmm. in, in music. And being in the Philadelphia music scene in the, at that period of time, in the mid-60s, uh, it was the beginning of the hippie era and a great music scene in Philadelphia. And I wanted to be part of it. I just didn't know where I would fit in. I, I was doing, I was singing in doo-wop bands, second tenor. I was never the, got to be the lead vocalist, but it was never anything where we made any money. You know, we, we played a bit for, for free. We sang in the subway for the reverb, you know, um, it was that kind of thing. And then I started like managing bands and if you want to call it that, I was the guy that managed them, that went in and made the deal for them. Uh, but that wasn't really for me. So I started working in a place called the 13th Street Conspiracy, which is like a head shop, bell-bottom place. Uh, very friendly with the owner, a guy who was only maybe two years older than me. And um, we decided that we, we talked about promoting a concert. At the, in those days in Philadelphia, there was a company called Electric Factory Concerts. It still is. It's still there. That kind of kind of has the whole runs the whole area. You can't like do a concert. They have they've got a lock on the area. So there's a town called Allentown, which is about sixty miles away from Philly. Mm -hmm. So we picked this town. And uh, we picked Vanilla Fudge and we promoted a concert. And in the rider for the for the deal to promote the concert, they said we must supply a sound system. So the electric factory had a, a company called Festival Group. And this is how I got started because the, the concert broke even. It wasn't like we were going to make a lot of money doing concerts. However, I struck up a good um, rapport with uh, the guy that ran the sound company, a guy named Dave Hadler, and he hired me to go on the road. And so I started off as a sound mixer in like 1967 or 68. Um, not as a mixer. I started off humping the gear and just like that. Uh, I mean, obviously I had, a lot of experience as a singer and a backup singer and a choir boy. And, you know, so that was that part of it. And the electronic stuff, now I was really into a great place. <clears throat> and eventually, as the years went by there, I started front of house mixing and all of that, culminating with, I had just the year of 69, I think, I, I was on tour with Jefferson Airplane. I 
I, I did their sound at Woodstock, you know. Um, uh, yeah, it was one of those great years. I was also doing lighting. <laughs> I was doing sound. I was I was just, you know, stage managing. Um, I got a million stories on just those years being on the road. Um, uh, but uh, the really the big change, the sea change came when I was in a car with with um, uh, what's his name? Chris Blackwell, who was Island's president. At that time, Island was a very small label, just had a few, had Steve Winwood and Traffic, had Free, had mm. Spooky Tooth, you know, just a few bands. And I'm riding un unusually, usually I'm riding in a truck. Here I am riding with Chris Blackwell. He's driving, I'm a passenger, and we're going from gig to gig somewhere. And I was complaining. I was saying, man, I, I don't know how many I've been this, doing this for a few years now. I don't know how I can keep doing it. You know, And because he knows. He knows it was like after the gig at 11 o'clock, you're wrapping up cords and loading the truck till 2 a.m., driving for three hours to another to Pittsburgh and getting a room and getting five hours sleep and doing the whole thing all over again. You know, that, that was how it was in those days. It wasn't like the front of house guy road with a briefcase in the back of the plane you know with the band and so um he said uh i said i don't know how long i could do this he said well what do you want to do and i said i want to take the mixing that i've learned and i want to go into the studio and and record i want to be a recording guy recording engineer he said okay you're hired so you hired me <laughs> He hired me at Island Studio. I had done a couple of tours with Traffic, and so we he knew me really well. Uh, he wasn't on tour all the time with Traffic, but, you know, uh, this tour, he uh, he had another act on the tour, um, Cat Stevens. Hmm. So that was Cat Stevens' tour for Tea, Tea for the Tillman, which is a fantastic album. Yeah. And so, you know, and it was great for me because the opening act was just two guys with acoustic guitars. Instead of a whole band, I had to set up and tear down and then set up another band, you know, okay. So uh, I I thought about that and I took him up on that. Within six months, um, me and my footlocker moved to London. And uh, I got, uh, I started working at Basing Street Studios. And... Um, Got a little flat in Bayswater, and uh, started, you know, started off pretty like fifteen pounds a week. It was a little bit of a pay cut, <laughs> and um, uh, but within about six months, <clears throat> I had done a few sessions, um, and I, I I had a I had a kind of. Um, I had, a, I guess, a leg up a little bit because of my experience with microphones, with uh, with uh, with all sorts of equipment, with cables, and understanding of of the signal path and and preamps and all of these stuff. I just didn't know how that applied to recording, and certainly the the quality of the microphones was totally different for recording. There wasn't we didn't really use condenser microphones on on tour in those days. And so um, 
Yeah, it was a great a great learning experience, but um, I got fired after about six months for uh, doing an unauthorized session. <laughs> Somebody called me up on a Friday night <clears throat> um, and uh, said, "Hey, Ron, my engineer." Uh, is sick, and we got to we we need somebody to come over and 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 finish this whatever off. And I I thought to myself, wow, what are they going to do? Fire me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, Rob, yes, they are. <laughs> I, got, I got called into the office on Monday morning, and uh, in those days, the the ch the chief the chief boffin. The chief uh, tech guy was ran the ran the tape ops, you know, ran the assistant engineers, and and you know, and uh, so there I was in London now. Um, where do you want me to stop? But that's no. a good place. I mean, you know, uh, right now I'm off. I'm, I'm kind of uh, you know without a job in London. I had, you know, I had already got a work permit. I I'd spent like a, a couple of months uh, at the home office, back and forth on a bench, waiting with hundreds and hundreds of people to, to, to get an application for that Island Studios had you know, done, done all that work. So now I was legally in the country uh, for a while anyway. And um, here I am jobless. So my next big, uh, 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 I guess, event, that happened was I answered an ad in Melody Maker magazine. But, but it was a company called Track Plan. And uh, John Alcock, lovely chap who was passed, sadly. Uh, John Alcock, uh, I went up to see him. They were, Track Plan was Pete Townsend's company, and they were building these eight track mixing consoles with a one inch tape deck with the mixer attached, which is very interesting. Uh, so that for, for a demo, for like home, Roger Daltrey wanted one, Cat Stevens wanted one, you know, uh, I eventually built a studio for Ronnie Wood. Uh, ultimately that eight track thing failed, but the business did very well, but we, without using there's a company called Alice Stancoil in Windsor at the time that was making the mixers and they just weren't up to it. Mm. And so um, um, I think what happened was I went up to see, I, I remember I went up on Water Street uh, to, to see John and uh, he hired me because I had experience in live sound and they wanted to also make live sound mixers. Okay. So, uh, you know, Pete even sent me to Denver to, to Joe Walsh's house to, to work out. Joe wanted a, a live sound mixer you know, and a PA mixer, what we call them. And so uh, I went there for a couple of days, hung out with Joe. And ultimately the, the, that didn't work out because the mixer sucked and Joe was pissed <laughs> <laughs> and Pete was pissed and had nothing to do with me. I was not making them. And I had not decided on this company to build this stuff. But certainly that part of the whole scene did not work out. But one of the first big projects I got was 
to build uh, an Airstream recording uh, studio thing uh, for Ronnie Lane, who yes. was a big, hang on a second, something popped up. Ronnie Lane was a big bud of Pete's. You know, they they lived in Twickenham together and they were in bands, to, you know, not bands together, but they, they were both Mayor, Mayor Baba devotees. And um, so uh, Ronnie went on tour with the Faces and um, bought this Airstream and I outfitted it, you know, and I used the stuff that I knew from the, my time at Island, which was a Helios console and studio tape machine, all really great stuff. And uh, that 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 Airstream is still around. It was called LMS, Lane's Mobile Sound. And uh, that's from making that phone call to Melody Maker. Now I'm building recording studios. Okay. Uh, the, the Airstream Airstream uh, turned out fantastic. Now, it coincided with a time where Pete Townsend had this idea after the failed Lifehouse that he he had uh, of of Quadrophenia, uh, mm. and the concept was, um, you know, Jimmy instead of Tommy was kind of schizophrenic, you know, actually quadrophrenic. He had like four personalities and he was a mod. It was like the mod in the rockers days. And um, uh, the, Pete had, had wanted to do it in quadraphonic sound for quadrophenia. And it was very, very primitive times for quad sound. And there was no quad studios in the UK. Uh, you need quad panners, you need quad routing, you need four speakers, you need all that. So uh, Pete decided to build his own studio. He had a company that built studios, right? So he built his own studio. While I am building the Airstream, Pete is taking his place that he has at Ramport, which was a rehearsal studio, and making mm -hmm. it into a recording studio in Battersea. Okay, so what happens next is a, another very, uh, a great thing for me. Um, they had to start working on, on, the, on the backing tracks mm. and the console wasn't ready or it wasn't wired up properly or the jack bay wasn't installed or it was very close, but not close enough. So Pete called up Ronnie and he said, hey, get your Airstream over here. And I want to start cutting tracks. In other words, you use the mobile control room right outside the studio, which is what we did. It was Now, Ronnie's was only eight track. So it was like one inch instead of the two inch, 16 and 24 track recordings in those days. Mm. Uh, but we started and who better to use as an engineer but the guy that built it right well so i really i really lucked out there of course they wouldn't have kept me if i if i sucked right so uh, i i got the gig uh, just by default almost and um 
and started working, uh, and um, they kept me when we moved into the studio. They kept me for Quadrophenia, and they kept me for Tommy. And I might still be there if the record plant didn't, in 1975, grab me to be the chief engineer of the record plant in L.A. Because I had built a studio for Ronnie Wood at his house. And uh, during a break in the recordings that the Faces were doing on a tour, they brought uh, Chris and Gary Kelgren and Chris Stone, the owners of the record plant, over. And I happened to be doing a session at Ronnie's house. And they met them. And they hired me. They offered me a job to go back and be the chief engineer at the record plant studios, which they had Sausalito and Los Angeles. So that's that whole, that's that going to England and coming back from England. And I skipped over a bunch of albums in between. So you can stop me at any point and I'll fill in the gaps. It's just, obviously you were saying like you've, you've missed a load of albums there, but because obviously Quadrophenia is this big hit, was people seeing your name then in the album gatefold and going like, we need to get this Ron Neverson guy on our album because this sounds fantastic, boys. Like, so did that help get you? Yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. That and the legend of LMS. Because, mm. for instance, Led Zeppelin used the Rolling Stones rec recording truck at Headley, Headley Grange, the famous rental in 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 Hampshire. And uh they had already done work on Houses of the Holy, which included, I didn't know it at the time, because I, I didn't know going into getting hired to do physical graffiti album that it was going to be a double album. And they they take a bunch of tracks from previous recordings and make it into this double album. Uh, it didn't it, it either uh, they didn't know that was going to happen then or they didn't tell me about it. I was just I was just the engineer. Right. So uh, but they did want uh, now it could be that the Rolling Stones truck was not available when they wanted to go or that they'd heard good things and wanted to try Ronnie's uh, truck. Uh, I must say that even though I had mentioned that Ronnie's truck was eight track when we started off, uh, we went to 16 track on a, over a weekend during the weekend. first recordings of Quadrophenia. What now those big Studer machines were very tall mm. and the Airstream was like this. <laughs> so we could not fit eight more modules above. So we put eight underneath the motor which created some hums in the, uh, you know, it was a, it was a tough weekend. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a fire hazard. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> it was a tough weekend getting everything, but the, 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 the console was ready for it. There was a, we needed to get a, another module for eight more uh, monitoring faders. And we got that. We were ready to do it. And, but the switchover was really tougher with the Studer than than anything else that the actual tape machine, but so the the the, the Airstream was sixteen track when I took it to uh, Headley Grange. Now, um, when I got to Headley Grange to do the physical graffiti album, 
John Paul Jones, for whatever reason, did not turn up. So we ended up, though he had personal issues, I don't know what that was. Um, we ended up for four or five days just jamming, rehearsing, doing Elvis songs, all sorts of stuff, you know, until they finally went. So Peter Grant, the manager, came and at some point and said, hey, I've got this guy, Paul Rogers, but I've got the Paul Rogers band. Uh, and he just signed them to his label, Swan Song. Mm. And of course, I knew Paul Rogers of Paul Rogers from Free. I knew All Right Now was a big, had been a big hit mm. at that point. Uh, Mick Ralphs uh, from Matahupo. They were island bands, right? Free and Matahupo were island bands. So, so I, you know, island studios in those days on Basing Street was the, the, the studio was in a big church. I don't know if it's still there or not. You guys are Londoners. Is that still around on Basing Street? You know? Yeah. We're in England, but not London. So I'm not sure. Oh, no. Where are you, by the way? Uh, I'm in Birmingham. Birmingham. Okay. So um, so the, the, the studio was in a big uh, church. And on downstairs, they had built another studio. So there was a big studio and then the smaller studio. Next door was the record company and the and the offices for the management company. Muff Winwood ran the management company, Steve Winwood's brother. And uh, upstairs where the vicar used to live, uh, that's where uh, Chris Blackwell lived. So it was it was a really family kind of thing when I got there in 1970, you know. And so I knew all these people. And so Peter Grant says, uh, I'd like to record some tracks with uh, Paul Rogers band. So I kept the Airstream there and I went back. And in 10 days, we did the first Bad Co album. Uh, first Bad Company album. Mm. Uh, I remember uh, sitting there in the kitchen of Headley Grange uh, when they 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 came down uh, uh, to see the band and said, "Look, we need a name for the band," and they they so they picked "Bad Company" from the name of the the song "Bad Company." They had lots of other lots of other choices. Uh, I mean, they were they were talking names like "Loud Trousers" and things like that. <laughs> Honestly, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, Paul Rogers and his loud trousers. But, but <laughs> I think in the end, I remember Paul saying, you know, but in America, bad means good. So they, yeah. everybody went, yeah, great idea, Paul. Let's do, let's use bad, let's do bad company. <laughs> so, uh, so even though that was a 10 day recording, that was 10 days at Headley Grange. We then went to, to Olympic and uh, overdubbed some girl singers and saxophone and a couple of solos and did the mixing there. But that was probably only another 10 days, you know. So then is when I go back to, um, back to Headley Grange and lay down the tracks. By this time, John Paul Jones was ready to go. And so we laid down the tracks for physical graffiti absolutely it's amazing like it's so crazy how you bounce on like project to project to project to project well but i now i I, then came a big problem uh and it was in january of 
74, 70, 74, I think. Um, I was supposed to start the Tommy film with, with the Who. Hmm. Ken Russell was ready to, uh, the whole Tommy uh, uh, film soundtrack, the film was shot to the soundtrack, if you remember. There was not a spoken word in the film. So it was all recorded first, and then the film was, we made tapes and they, they recorded the, shot the film to the, well, to the music. So that was a big nine month long project. I didn't want to miss that. Now, because of the Zeppelin, because of them st stopping to do the bad company thing, and they, they were now wanting to record in January too. And so I, I told them I couldn't do it. Now, I don't think anybody has like quit Led Zeppelin before. But they weren't very happy about it. Well, to be fair, if John Paul Jones hadn't had personal problems, then you well, wouldn't have in this situation. Well, that's, so. why, that's why I'm kind of, <laughs> you know. But so I get this call from from uh, John Bonham and the boys sitting around. Ronnie, you fucking cunt, Ronnie. You can't leave us. And, you know, yeah, it was it was a little ugly, I must say. Uh, but I, 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 I wasn't going to, yeah, I was going to do what I was going to do. And I, uh, uh, and let me just say this as, as, as much as I admired those guys and thought the music was fantastic and just, uh, Jimmy Page was an amazing producer, writer. I mean, it was an amazing experience. Um, they had a history of, going, hopping from studio to studio, never taking the engineer with them. Mm. That's, that's was what, you know, they would go to New York and then use Eddie Kramer and they'd go to, and, and they'd go to Olympic and use somebody there, you know. Uh, I don't, I didn't see much of a loyalty there, but that was not, that was not the issue. That's a like anecdotal thing. Uh, you know, the issue for me was I was going to miss out on, on uh, the, the guy that gave me my first big break, which was the who and Pete Townsend. And so I wasn't going to miss that. And so it just happened like that, that way. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. In those, in those, like looking at the discography, of the records you worked on those early days, like, do you ever in the moment realize just how special what you're recording is? Or are you just so focused on what you're doing? It's just sort of like happening. If that makes well, sense. you know, I, I, well, I've been working with stars for years. That was a good thing. I had, I wasn't in, in awe of anybody. I had been on tour with, with major acts and, and been in tight situations with them. And, um, and there was a lot of mutual respect there. I think that when I started recording, I, I some days I'd come home and go like, yeah, I'm fucking brilliant. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> and and then in other days, you know, I really suck. I really suck. You know, I couldn't get anything. No one was happy with what I did or whatever, or things broke down. And then I realized after a while, yeah, that's every day. That's the way it is. Well, yeah. you know. And so uh, when you realize that, whenever I came to finally realize that, uh, that's the day that everything got a lot easier because mm. I didn't take it so personally. 
And I just went, oh, yeah, it's another day. Tomorrow will be better or worse, but whatever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I didn't know that didn't really totally, totally answer your question about, uh, but that's, that's my feelings at the time. Um, and, and, uh, you know, as, as time went, went on, I graduated from engineering to being a producer engineer. And I wanted to do that very much because producers got royalties and, uh, you know, uh, it was a very interesting concept being a royalty artist. You know, I don't think I ever made over a hundred pounds a week with the Who or Bad Company or any of those bands who are making fortunes. And so, yeah. And so, uh, yeah. I, how would you like describe your personal style of philosophy when it comes to producing music? Um. I'm not sure how I do it. Okay. Just, it's a taste thing because I don't read or write music. Um, I don't really play. I fiddle around, but I don't practice at anything. I mean, I played French horn and I played trumpet and, uh, and little keyboards and a little guitar, but nothing really, you know, I know my way around, but so uh, I think it's down to uh, my style is very instinctual. You know, I have an instinct for what will work with what, how interesting this something should be. A lot of times uh, people will bring me songs and I'll just have to figure out how to start them and how to end them. Everything else is great. So everything uh, has a different, you know, every production has different uh issues i guess and songs but uh you know I, i've heard an interesting thing that somebody just sent me today in fact about john Waite. um and his he's got a film or something going do you know about that no nope. i don't remember it's, it's not important but <laughs> uh, you know uh john was uh the babies if you remember them and um, the lead singer in the babies. And uh, he's one of the guys that I had the most problems with working with. In fact, one of the only guys, him and Eddie money are the only two guys that I have problems with consistently. You know, we just didn't, didn't get along, I guess. Yeah. Um, but this this guy in this article I was reading today had pointed out that, uh, um, oh gosh, you know, I better not get into this right now. Let's hold off on that. Okay. Because I didn't read the whole thing, and I don't no. want to misquote anybody. No. But we're just saying. But anyway, you... oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, obviously, you're saying that how you moved into the role of being record producer, but. The, the term record producer is very vague and to someone outside of the industry like myself what exactly is the role of the record producer what what is the job to be done it's a it's a musical director it's the same thing that a director does mainly on a film like a film director sometimes will write the film sometimes will just be and sometimes be the cinematographer and take a script I'm more of the cinematographer director type 
than the writer-director type. I'm the engineer-producer. So you can equate it to like a, a filmmaker. A filmmaker, I'm a, a guy that has that gets a, a, a script, but I shoot the film, I get the actors, or in the case of a band, they're already there. You know, so th that's that's the uh, people think a producer is the money guy, and sense, and it, it that's what in film in a film sense that's that's what it is, but not not in the recording business sense. That, that's why I ask because like, yeah, I'd like to say in the film industry, a producer gets the money, but there is no such thing as the record director. You know, it's, you know well, so I it's... wasn't re I wasn't equating that to money. I was uh, I was no, uh, no. trying to describe that. The, the the actual what somebody does but yeah the the film producer is the guy that that uh uh maybe gets the locations gets the financing together hires the director and in in my case i i'm i'm everything in, in terms of that especially being the engineer uh and uh, occasionally i would hire an engineer uh to do extra work or if i did a string date where there was 24 string players out there, it's a lot for one guy to produce and engineer. Mm -hmm. So I would have an engineer running running the show of that side of things. But generally, I did everything myself. I love that you wanted to stay hands-on with the engineer side of it as well. Just been like, I want I want all parts of this record to say, this is a Ron Neverson record, you know, like. No, that's not, you know, uh, no, that's not why. I just, I just have trouble giving up any, any uh, 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 space for because I'm I'm not sure what I'm doing as I go along. It's it's a trial. No, it's a trial and error effort for me. I try things until I'm happy with them. I keep moving moving parts around until I, I that you know. Uh, it's it's a lot of it is down to uh, a time consideration and and money so how much time do you have to keep moving stuff around until you have to stop so you know you have to as a producer you have to look at a project and go can i take this to 90 percent or i'm gonna have to stop at 70 because that's i only have enough money for 70 mm. in other words to manage the time how much time do you spend on each part of the project and each each person how much time do you spend with each person how many takes do you do with each person how good can you get it has to do with how much money you have to spend and so you have to do you have to do a kind of assessment you know when you're starting out on like how good you can get this project compared to how much money you have on it right i can imagine when you're dealing with some of the musicians that are around in the 70s and the 80s that were known for the extracurricular activities and whatnot some some fun sessions I can imagine trying to get these people in line. <laughs> uh, you know it depends. You know, in the, when I was the engineer with uh, with a Ze with either Zeppelin or the Who or uh, even Bad Company, I, uh, they were the they were running the show. You know, uh, Mick Grouse and Paul Rogers were running the show with Bad Company, and Pete certainly ran the show with the Who and. Jimmy ran the show with Led Zeppelin. They were the producers, and I was the engineer. Um, and I, I'm not downplaying what I did on my part, but I wasn't the decision maker on how long anything, uh, how good anything would be, how much we spent. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's that was out of my hands. Uh, you know, and I would 
I would answer any questions if they said, I mean, one of the advantages of, of uh, that I had working with bands all the time that produced themselves, I, they were in there and I was in here. And so they would always ask me, how was that? When they would look up and go, how, how, how was that? And I'd give my opinion, you know? And I, you know, I'd say, well, I think you ought to do it again. They say, sure, okay. And so, uh, uh, you know, I did get a lot of kind of that going, I guess. Whereas a lot of when I worked at Island, as an assistant engineer, running the tapes and doing all, putting up the microphones and all that, there was an engineer a lot of times and a producer sitting in the room. Hmm. So. I never worked for a producer like that, but I was around it a lot. Have you have you ever got involved in like say they're they're playing some sort of certain song and they get out to go, oh Ron, what do you reckon? What do you reckon to this? What do you think of that? Have you ever sure. had any sort of input that way? Sure, they asked me. Yeah, yeah. Have sometimes, you... I, sometimes I you know I think you're on the wrong track or. <laughs> and it's hard to generalize. Uh, but you know what I said about Eddie Money and, yeah. and John, you know, Eddie Money, uh, I had a lot of problems with the record. And I found out a year later why I had so many problems other than the drugs, which I, I have to admit, I was not totally 100% uh, straight myself with when it comes to that. But uh, uh, I ran into uh, his guitar player a year later and we were talking about the sessions that we did and he he said to me you know what Eddie used to do he used to when we'd leave the control room you know go through the double doors into the studio he said don't do what ron said do this and i'd be in i'd be in the control room the you know what the fuck is is happening here you know and i i, I guess i just wasn't looking for that. I didn't think that anybody would sabotage their own record. But, you know, Eddie wanted desperately to produce his own record, but Bill Graham wouldn't let him. He was signed to Bill Graham with some management. And um, so he thought that he could just get me to do what he wanted to do. And uh, I am all for uh, having it out and and uh, not, not having it out like this, <laughs> having, having it out, having a <laughs> where where I would lay out lay out my opponent. Now I would lay out uh, what what I thought and why, and expect somebody to come back and say, "No, well, I want to do it like this." Now I say, "Well, I don't think you should do it because of that," and that that was fairly common with artists. What wasn't common was for him not to do that and just change it on his own. So it was it was a year later that I that I went, wow, Jesus, that was why I had so many problems on that record, because he was sabotaging his own record. Didn't. But I learned from that that people do that stuff are capable of doing it. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy what ego will lead people to do, because let's be honest, that's basically what that was. It was an ego pull. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. And he was he was a fun guy, you know, uh, generally speaking. Uh, uh, and certainly that uh, he went on 
to have that big hit with uh, Ronnie Ronnie Spector. Uh, just like yeah, after the babies, John Wade had the big Missing You song. You know, these guys were, you know, had talent, talented guys and just so difficult to work with, you know. So you've got, like, when I was doing my research for you, a, a quote came up about you quite a lot. And it was you had this reputation of, sort of helping bands out when they're starting to lose themselves a bit. They need a push whether times have moved on and whatnot. Did that reputation for you start with heart? Because you are responsible for, in part, what will I say is possibly one of the greatest rock ballads of all time with these dreams. Is that where that sort of reputation for you began? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think that, that, um, there was a couple of times, I mean, I had a big, if specifically the heart situation. Um, to, to, you know, heart had uh, what they call an out of the box uh, album uh, in the late seventies. I think Dreamboat Annie mm -hmm. with uh, some, just some great, uh, and they had great ballads and great rockers and Ann Wilson's voice was sensational. And, uh, but they had some great riffs. And you know, crazy on you is an amazing song. I thought a great, it was, I think uh, other than Boston, they were the biggest rock act to come out of America in the late seventies. And they the fame brought problems. One of the issues they had was they were uh, their the guitar player was with one of the girls and the drummer was with another girl. And when those relationships uh, blew up, those people left the band. Well, what left the band was the guy that wrote the riffs, and what they were left with was the girls writing everything. And so they started writing softer records. Uh, and their last record with Epic called Passion Works, I think, didn't do very well. Mm -hmm. So Epic dropped them after all of that. And this is in like 82, I think. So uh, Don Grierson, who was head of AR at Capitol, uh, said, uh, I will sign you if we mutually pick the songs and a producer. And they said, okay. So uh, I was called up. My manager, Michael Lipman, called me and said, would you be interested in working with Hart? I said, yes. <laughs> Who wouldn't? And well, they're, they're, they want you to do a couple of their ballads because I had hits with Survivor, with ballads and different bands and they thought of me as a ballad rock guy and i said fine i'll do that so i go up to seattle uh, and they pick me up at the airport i know that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. we went to dinner we talked they took me back to the airport and i got a call the next day they want you to do the whole album not just a couple of songs so um they also had a new manager, Trudy Green, 
which was from HK Management. So they had a big label deal and they had a new manager and a new producer. And the and I had a mandate to 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 bring this album home. Mm. Uh, in this is 1984, I think. Now 1984, the the way you got a, a, a well, the way you got a triple platinum album was uh, you you hit both of the the formats in radio here. You hit the AOR, which was album oriented rock rock radio, mm-hmm. and the FM if you like, and then you would hit CHR contemporary hit radio, which was AM the big stations WLS in Chicago and the that that went everywhere. And if you have a hit on CHR, where there's only 140 stations. If you had a hit, it's totally not like Radio 1 or BBC or anything like that. Uh, if you had a hit on um, um, on album radio, even a big hit, you, you could sell a half a million records, which is gold in this country, you know. So if you, But if you then took that to the next level, you'd have to go to the CHR, to the widespread pop radio. So in order to get on pop radio, you had to have you had to have a ballad or something like that that fit because they it had to compete with the rest of the pop stuff that was happening. And so uh, when I got to listen to their to their stuff that they had, I didn't think they had a hit. So I went back to Don Greers and I said, you know, I don't think. I think we got a lot of good rock stuff, but I don't think there's a hit there. And uh, Don gave me this song, What About Love, which was the first single that we had, which was a great rock ballad. And I went, I, I think that's great. And when I was on my way up to rehearse with them, my manager handed me a cassette with a bunch of songs on it from Bernie Taupin, uh, who is uh, the lyricist for Elton John. And and Michael Lipman, my manager, manages Bernie Taupin, or did at the time. And so on that cassette was These Dreams. So I was looking for a song for Nancy to sing at that point, not ever thinking it would, it would be a single. But she was so spacey. I thought these dreams, it fit her perfectly, you know? And so, um, and she agreed. She loved it. She loved the song. Uh, They did not like What About Love so much. Um, But, you know, in trying to get them to do some stuff that would transcend them in the modern day time of 1984, uh, on the charts, uh, you know, we... I said, look, with What About Love, because the demo that I played them was really wimpy. It wasn't powerful at all. It was, what about love? You know, something like that. And uh, I said, you know, don't don't think of that as, 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 think of it as notes on a paper, on a sheet, not as, try to get that out of your head. I said, I said, you know, if we work it up and you still can't make it your own, we won't have to do it. Well, <laughs> I was hoping to come to that. But, um, but and they started working up. They started really liking it. And uh, when we cut the track, I remember Howard Kaufman coming down 
and was blown away by the just the backing track of of this of the thing and so they they adopted it they were they weren't really happy about doing other people's material but they had gotten themselves into a situation where they didn't have the goods anymore mm-hmm. and there's no way around that you know they still think they probably didn't need those songs to this day right and so, um, but that's that's just the way it is. You know, people want to be known for their own stuff. And I've dragged bands kicking and screaming onto the charts my entire career. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's just that's just a fact. And um, so, yeah, that was, uh, and of course, uh, we had enormous success with the band, with that album. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I know it's sold six or seven million here, probably 10 million worldwide or something like that. Maybe more by now. You know, we, we don't sell albums anymore. We sell downloads. So wow. I, I don't know. <laughs> just, just thinking of a story I read earlier, as we were just talking then about like a big hit single for someone. Did I yeah. read that when you worked with Ozzy on The Ultimate Sin, they didn't want to record Shot in the Dark? Right. Yeah. That blows and, my and mind. That- like. No, Phil Phil Susan had that song. He was the bass player. Hmm. And he was lobbying me. I get lobbied all the time as a producer. I'm the kind of conduit you know, between the songwriter <laughs> and the artist, right? <sighs> and so, but I do remember, I do remember uh, them being freaked out after it was a hit, like, what are we going to have next when they didn't want me to do it in the first place? How could I have two like that? Right. I mean, I was lucky to, I was, I felt like I was lucky to get that on the album. Right. Bonkers, because it's like one of the most famous songs. And you're like, ah. Well, in in, in hindsight. (laughs) But um, Ozzy, uh, Ozzy had, you know, they, uh, Sharon and Ozzy, yeah, they always put together great bands. Uh, I must tell you a story. Uh, when I first met Sharon, she, her, her dad, uh, um, what's her dad's name? I can't remember. I know he's someone mm-hmm. big, but I can't remember his name. Myself. Oh no, her dad. Her dad was a big time empress. Yeah. Sharon. Uh, a big a big um, manager yeah. and he managed Britt Eklund who was my girlfriend at the time and uh, this is 78, 79 and we went out to this this restaurant um, and um, it was Sharon's birthday because it was Britt and her, Sharon's dad and Sharon's dad's mother Sharon's grandmother at the time, uh, who was a hoot, I must say. Uh, <laughs> and, but, you know, he managed Black Sabbath. Yes. And so it was obvious that that's where the relationship started between Sharon and Ozzy, because he was their manager. At some point, I'll, I feel a little stupid not remembering his name right now, but that's the way it is at 78. You don't remember stuff. Sometimes. It's a long time ago. It's a long time ago. I always look is hearing Aussie stories. I'm a like I said, I'm from Birmingham. It's where Sabbath yeah. from. So 
I'm always happy hearing uh, Aussie stories. Aussie, it was a great, you know, he, I was mentioning it. He, uh, he had always, they always got together great bands, drummers, guitar player. Jakey Lee was a sweetheart, <sighs> great guy, fantastic to work with. He did, he, he asked me when we first started, Ron, could we work later? I said, yeah, sure. How late do you want to? He said, can we start at midnight? I don't want no. I'm not going to turn the townhouse upside down, the townhouse studio upside down. They have to have a front desk person. They get, you know, we can, you know. Anyway, we settled on six to two, six oh. p.m. to two a.m. Okay, that's fine. I mean, but midnight to eight a.m. No. <laughs> then I had to come back and do something else. So, um, so that that all went really smoothly because once we cut tracks. It, Got the basic tracks cut with the, the the guitar player, the the bass player, and the drummer, and Ozzy singing. Don't see Ozzy; doesn't come back for six weeks. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe occasionally, but when I'm, no one wants to be there when you're doing guitar parts endlessly for days. You know, no one wants to sit there and while you're fiddling with the sounds and getting all the things. You know. Uh, so when it six weeks later, when I'm ready to do Ozzy's vocals, he's not turning up, right? So he was drinking a bit at that point, and um, so I, I went. I had a meeting with Sharon, and I said, you know, how are we going to get this done? And uh, I said, I, I'm. Uh, I, I should take him somewhere. Where does he hate to go? She says, oh, France. He hates, she hates him, frogs. <laughs> <laughs> so so we get a studio in Paris called Studio Davout. And um, Ozzy and me and this minder, who's about seven feet, the three of us, go over to Paris for 10 days and get the vocals done. He wanted to go home so bad that, you know, <laughs> it was, it was, I had to have, uh, had to have that kind of thing going to get him to, to, to do it. And I, he, he, he realized it. He was happy <laughs> in the, he realized that, uh, I mean, we did have a little bit of a problem. I, I mean, we did five days. So the idea was to do five days, take the weekend off and do five days. And taking the weekend off proved to be tough getting him back in. So I think it took us another another day, you know. But another, we got it all done in ten studio days, right? And uh, I yeah, I just love the fact the only, the only way you can rein in Ozzy Osbourne is take him to France. That's, <laughs> that's no, I, I you know you're down to the vo lead vocal. What am I going to do? Well, yeah, sit there and. Uh, uh, and so, uh, but the first day I remember, of course, I just went online. No, I didn't go online in 1984. <laughs> I, I, I somehow found out where the SSL studios were. I looked up on SSL's list or something, and because I was familiar with that console, and that's a, a you know one of the most expensive. I figured the studio would be good if they had a console like that. And and so, and I was right. The, but the studios and studios traditionally are in 
um, kind of areas of of a city that um, you know industrial areas. They're not like near near cool areas. Mm. Well, this was this was on the other side of Paris from where we are staying at, like the George Sank or some something like that. And it took an hour and fifteen in the limo each way the first day or something like that. So we ended up taking the metro, the three of us, me, Ozzy, and and his roadie, uh, to the studio every day, getting on the metro. Nobody recognized him, I don't think. You know, That's quite surprising. Worth that. Yeah. Probably oh, a good might, job. They might have, <laughs> might have, but I don't remember anything like that. And um, Sharon's dad's called Don Arden. Don Arden, thank you. You're welcome. Yes, Don. <laughs> Sharon Arden when I met her. Yeah. He was a good man. Now, Ryan, you worked on so many records. Like We could be here all day going yeah. through your back catalogue, but you're going to have to indulge me, sir. I said before we started, you're going to have to indulge me. There's two records of yours that I want to know from day one until when you entered the studio to when you left. <laughs> I want to know everything. Okay. No joking. Um as I said, odd enough, you had this reputation of helping bands in need and find themselves. And in 1986-87, you work with my favourite group of all time, Kiss, on an album that I will say is horribly underrated. There is not a bad song on that album, in my opinion. Obviously, talking about Crazy Nights. What was it like working on with, with Kiss on Crazy Nights? Because it was a weird time for the band. <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, they were fantastic. Paul and Gene, uh, Bruce Kulick, uh, amazing. Uh, Eric, unfortunately, he's passed a drummer. Um, uh, you know, I felt like I wanted to take them. I, you know, if you listen to that album now, you're going to go. The mix isn't very good, and there's too many keyboards. Um, I mean, that's the kind of the way most people would look at that. But this was 1980. You probably know better. 87? 87 it came out. 87 came out. So yeah. yeah, 87, something like that. Um they were they were they were terrific. And I had uh I had a uh a relationship with a girl uh that was a model. <laughs> and um <laughs> at that point. In 86, uh, uh, we had rented a house in Aspen for for the 86, 87 holiday season for, for a couple of weeks anyway. And uh, in the fall, somewhere around um, Halloween, which is October 31st here, uh, I guess it's the same for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Somewhere around there, I broke up with her and I was on the phone to Paul and I said, yeah, man, I don't know if I'm going to be going to this house. And he says, get a house in Aspen. I said, he said, I'll go with you. We'll split the cost. So I ended up spending a couple of weeks with him, which is very cool. We got to know each other better and had a great time together in Aspen. And um, and interestingly enough, uh, you know, at this point, they had taken their makeup off. Hmm but they still weren't that recognizable to the general public, uh, you know, and of course now they've got their makeup back on for a while. Uh, and, uh, but there was nothing, uh, Paul gave me 
six really well-crafted songs, six or seven. I mean, when I first, when he first handed me a tape uh, that he had written with Desmond Child, you know, oh. great writers that he had co-written. Um, Gene handed me a tape with 30 songs. That were some of them were ridiculous songs. You only got one song on that album. <laughs> well, yeah, but I had to whittle it down. <laughs> uh, he, re I remember there was one title I had to. I laughed about. He said it was one song title. <laughs> he goes, "I want to put a log in your fireplace." That was the song title. <laughs> That's a lyric in one of their songs, so it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So they used it, 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 it not for that album though, right? Yeah. No, I think it's on an earlier album actually. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, this was the song that maybe it was the whole song that I just rejected a song from from the past. But um, you know, the quality was there. I mean, Gene, Gene was great. Uh, he he really most of the time. I remember he sat in the back of the studio reading Variety. You know, you know Variety, the yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. <laughs> daily Variety. Uh, but uh, he was great to work with. They're both, both, and uh, I've taken my daughter uh, to see a couple of uh, Kiss concerts. Just my daughter. I have a twelve-year-old, mm. and so. Um, see if I can show you this, see if it, can you see this? This is me and Keith Moon. Does oh, that wow. That's amazing. That? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's me and Keith Moon. And this is me and Keith Moon and Roger Daltrey. Oh, my God. Uh, That's amazing. From the Quadrophenia sessions. Now I got these from Pete Townsend um, because I didn't have any shot. I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't have a camera. I couldn't afford a camera in those days. Um, you know. But the what shot I wanted to show you was. I can imagine you've got like an illustrious list <laughs> of so many. Ah, there he is. And now here. Is my daughter. That's with... amazing. Oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. That's, for her. that's, that's amazing. That is cracking. Yeah, yeah, Jealous yeah. of a 12-year-old. Here I am. So you mentioned Crazy Nights. What was the other one that uh... I was going to say? The other album I wanted to talk to you about is it doesn't get mentioned very often. And I, personally, it's top one of my top five albums of all time. And 1993, Vince O'Neill, Exposed. I love this album. It is a perfect album for me. What obviously this is Vince walking away from Motley Crue. I love that album too. What happened to that album can be summed up in one word, grunge. That came out right when everybody's attention was up in Seattle. And that was just bad. I Another great album that I did with John Wetton um, that did not, you know, didn't 
get a, I mean, uh, uh, Vince's album did great in, in places like Germany and, and Japan. In fact, I have a gold record from Japan for Vince's record, but uh, he, he put together a great band. It was a time when, when he had left or got kicked out of, uh, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure which, but, and he's a lovely guy. Uh, I had a great time. He had done a, a an MTV uh, thing, a song that I had done with him called You're Invited But Your Friend Can't Come, uh, which is a song that um, I put him together with um, Jack Blades because I had done a couple of Damn Yankees albums by this time. And uh, Jack and Tommy Shaw wrote that song, I believe, for him. And um, yeah. So they wrote a couple of those songs in the record and Steve Stevens, uh, yes. amazing, amazing guitar player. I mean, the whole band was stellar. And uh, even the mix, I didn't mix it myself. My mixing is way too sloppy. You know, <laughs> the mix sounds great to me too. Uh, Chris Lord Algae did the mix on that. It's just a phenomenal album though. I think yeah, Steve yeah. Stevens as well. I think his guitar playing on that record is just out of this world. Like the it solos is. on it. I'm like, what are you yeah, doing? No. This is incredible. Like, I know. I know. It is. It's pretty incredible. Everybody, if they've never. What uh, was Vince like working on that though? Was it sort of like a, I've been split from crew or is it like a, I want to come out there and show the world who Vince Neil is. Oh, like, I don't know. It was, he's a big band guy. So he was having fun with this new band and, uh you know he got a big deal with warner brothers uh and like i said no one would have expected that every well that that, that kind of rock would have just taken a dump from that point forward yeah but that's what happened you know all of a sudden the pearl jams and the all these other bands came on the scene and pushed pushed everything else to, uh and you know i i think that there was the hair band times with all the different wingers and all these different, you know, they diluted the whole rock thing to me a bit, and the lyrics were getting tired. And <laughs> it, I think I think I needed a fresh look, but I wasn't. It was my core business, mm. and of course, my business uh, took a big hit from 1993 on. Did you did you never get to work with any like the grunge bands or any? Bands and that's all we just yeah not, I did interesting now I, a couple of years later I did a, a really fine album with Candlebox oh, okay and a I'm Seattle band okay yeah and uh, but the, yeah that, that's the only kind of grungeish band that I worked with because the, the the people that were doing the grunge were the younger producers that were thought to have the have that that kind of edge you know that kind yeah. of uh thing <laughs> uh, and no one ever understood i don't think what was happening there no. <laughs> i don't i don't understand it the, so the popularity of that of those some of those bands i mean i understand what happened with nirvana that first song was just was a, a, a great great song mm. a teen spirit song you know but uh the rest of it, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not making any fans right now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
maybe everyone's trying to jump on the bandwagon a little bit more than anything else. If, the, if that re- if that wave's riding high, everyone's going to want a piece of it, aren't they? So I'm assuming everyone just went, let's just do grunge. We might not be good at it, but let's just do it anyway. <laughs> well, you know, they, look, Candlebox, I remember, uh, uh, they sold 25,000 CDs out of the back of their van over the course of a couple of months. Wow. You know, that gets, that gets the attention of Maverick Records, who was Madonna's label at that point. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of like, um, yeah. That, that's, it, it's reminiscent of the Beatles and the Mersey sound and and all of the bands that, that drifted over here uh, that didn't really make it over here or that had, you know, one hit, you know, and then disappeared. It brought a slew of, of hopefuls and... Some great, some not so great. Yeah. Just the way time's changing the music as well. It's like, I'll listen to bands that are coming out now, and I'm just like, I have no idea what I'm listening to right now, yet people seem to absolutely love this. Like, I'm so confused by this. Like, <laughs> I know. I know. Confused it's... is a good word, isn't it? <laughs> I, remember when I, I remember when I did, when I did the, I, the, uh, the album I did with Candlebox uh, was, didn't do it half as well as their first record, which sounded like a uh, way worse, I thought. But I remember them telling me in the studio, uh, because when I researched them, I listened to their first CD and it was really low and level, mm. you know. And I said, you know, uh, by the way, I listened to your first CD, uh, but how come it's not loud how come it's so low and level well our producer said well they really they really compress stuff on the radio so so we don't want to you know i mean totally didn't know what the fuck he was saying right there you know so if he didn't know that you know so that's the kind of producers that were producing grunge i I don't want to throw them all together (laughs) but you know i was thinking yeah right and that's a good reason to have it low when you're, you know, you know, and I tried to explain that when you're sitting there listening to music, you don't want to have from one seat to another, you know, or one song to another, you don't, you don't want to have to get up and turn up the volume, you know, well, yeah. it's got nothing to do with the radio. It's so, it's stupid, you know, anyway. <laughs> like your career though, Ron, has been illustrious, like, the amount of people that you've worked with, we talked about Ozzy, we talked about Kiss and The Who and Heart, and you've had Thin Lizzy, uh, Meatloaf, Flynn and Skinner, just to name quite a few. But like, obviously the music industry from when you began to now has evolved like 15,000 fold. It's insane. And I imagine your job's obviously done the same thing as well as the time's gone like by and whatnot. Um, has your career got, should I say, would your job got a bit easier with the way technology's grown over the last 40 odd years? Um, I didn't work for a period of time for five years around the turn of the century. Okay. I didn't work from like 2000 to 2005 at all. This is just, really just having a bit of a, of a mental break yeah. just to have some time to. Yeah, I just wasn't interested in doing it and I wasn't getting any quality jobs and, um, um, and it was a weird time, you know, the days of Napster. Yeah, where, where people are getting music for free and uh, and films for free and and, uh, and people were kids were growing up thinking they well you know 
they don't have to pay for music. Why should I pay for it? They didn't realize that somebody's got to pay for it. It takes, it takes uh, people in studios and all of that to, to, to kind of like get it going. And um, so I was just, I guess I was disillusioned. And then yeah. in, in 2007, after the iPhone came out, I had a great idea of making ringtones that were very cool ringtones. I mean, you know, compared to what was available at the time. Yeah. Really loud and in your face. And I just guitar riffs. So I called it, I called it riff tones. And I got a company and I made 200 of them. I mean, it took me a whole year to do that. And until I realized my lawyer hadn't done his due diligence and the record companies were totally controlling the uh, the mobile phone business. Ah. In other words, so I go to, I, let, let me just, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but let me just say, I go have a meeting mm -hmm. with, with the president, Mo Austin, of Warner Brothers. And he played my ACDC back as, um, um, I, he played an ACDC song. And he goes, that's fantastic. I've never heard anything as good as that, like on a phone. He said, but it's going to create artist relations problems for me how can i sell your fake alongside the real one from acdc in other words i all all of these i'm doing all these famous things i'm not going to be able to get licenses for them yeah yeah right? because it's creating artist relationship or in other words the whole thing collapsed um because it wasn't, a, it was a great idea, but I had to compete with the real thing, and ACDC is not going to like that. They're going to call up Warner Brothers and say, yeah, or whoever. I'm just throwing out names here, uh, whoever, and say, look, that, yeah, can't do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that. So I guess I'm blaming it on my lair. I should have known better myself. <laughs> I'll show you what I did to Eddie Money. <laughs> so when you look back on your career though were there any artists that you really wanted to work with but never had the chance or it was like it almost happened but because of timing yeah like there was a few a few and you know uh, in those days um albums with big artists you know took a while it took you know six weeks eight weeks more than that sometimes. I remember Quadrophenia took us maybe nine months or something like that between getting everything together and all of the uh, all the sound of sound effects we had to do, uh, and the mixing that we did maybe not that long, but it was it was a while, six months anyway. Um, how many albums could I do in a year? Like three or four, right? So a lot of times it just... You know, I get calls from different people uh, that I wanted to work with, but uh, we couldn't fit it in the schedule with their touring and their need to get an album out so they could tour and support the album. So uh, there was a lot of missed opportunities there. I'm trying to think of 
there's a couple that are of projects I wanted to do. I remember uh, Mick Jagger solo record that I couldn't had a good meeting with him. And I did record the uh, Love You Live in 1975. I did. I went on tour with them and uh, recorded that album. Uh, and also had a great meeting with Billy Joel. <clears throat> and that didn't work out. I thought he was really cool. Uh, um, I had He was in a band called The Hassles that I had seen in Philadelphia. I was a big Hassles fan in the mid-60s. And uh, he came out of that Long Island kind of Long, Long Island, New York, uh, started his solo career. And uh, I always admired him. So, yeah, there's some people that uh, and some bands, I guess, that I couldn't get to work with. Uh, some that I had meetings with, and like like Aerosmith. I flew with uh, the A&R guy to Boston to uh, meet with Aerosmith. And um, I guess they didn't. You know, got the word the next day when I got home that they weren't they, they, they're looking to go another direction. <laughs> so you know, you know, can you do? John, yeah. <laughs> I the... thought the meeting. I thought it was a good meeting. That <laughs> <laughs> must be heartbreaking as well, especially well, if you get a call. <laughs> especially if you get a call with someone you've worked with before that you work with really well and like i'd love to work with you again but i've got to go do this instead <laughs> i can't think of anybody else offhand that um that uh, i kind of you know no i can't think of anywhere right now before before we start wrapping up, I just want to ask a couple of questions for myself. Are there any albums you did that you felt didn't quite get the recognition you felt they deserved for whatever they may be? You might come out of that thinking this album is going places and it just sort of didn't for whatever reason. Well, usually because they don't put the promotion staff doesn't doesn't uh, promote the single and the single doesn't hit. Yeah, I mean, I did a, a, an album with Chicago, Chicago 19, that had three hits on it. And it, it was a double platinum record. And uh, and oddly enough, the next record they did was a greatest hits album. And those songs were on that. And that sold a couple of million. So I, I know. I just, I, I, luckily, I got that wrapped up. I got, got that twice, right? Nice. But the next album was their next studio album. And um, and that didn't didn't uh, there was problems with that uh, not my not on my end they decided that they wanted somebody else to mix it mm. after I had after I had mixed it <clears throat> and I objected and I remember they were on tour in Atlanta and I flew down to Atlanta and got a studio to play it back and discuss it I wanted to make sure that they heard what I heard and. They 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 wanted to go in another way and and it wasn't my it wasn't like the album I had the hit with you know didn't sound sounded wimpy you know to me so uh, uh, and there was a great song on there um, gosh I can't remember right now so long ago but uh, it was a Diane Warren song and I had a big hit with look away which is right on the wall there with the chicago 
there was a Diane Warren song. I tried to follow it up. And, uh, but the album, so yeah, you're asking me, yeah, I was disappointed with that. Uh, but I was just disappointed with the way the album sounded mm. uh, as well as, uh, you know, uh, the babies, uh, interestingly enough, uh, Chrysalis records opened an LA office just about the, the year before I got signed to do the babies, um, or a couple of years before they weren't really established in America and, um, they didn't have distribution. They had independent distribution. So, uh, we could have hits on the radio, but when people go to the stores, they're not going to find the records. And that's that's the problem that Chrysalis had. Uh, up until Pat Benatar or Blondie, one of the big breakthrough artists that they had, um, where they got EMI to 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 distribute their, their material. But I missed out on that, being an early guy. I, those babies albums and UFO too uh, didn't sell that well in America because they just didn't have the... They, they didn't have the outreach uh, and the distribution outreach, even though they are kind of big radio hits, not big sales, it's, not it's, even gold. It's crazy how different the music industry is. And you're hearing stories like this, like couldn't get released in the States. And then nowadays you yeah. just go dot, dot. Hey, I'm listening to it. Like, <laughs> no matter where you are in the world. It's That's crazy. Right. It's absolutely crazy. What but, what will ever happen if the Chinese start paying us? I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and they start they when they start uh, um, paying for for uh, films and music. Um, uh, some people are going to get rich. <laughs> I'm very. <laughs> <laughs> On the flip side of that, though, as well, if people are listening to this and they're like, I'm loving hearing Ron's stories, what are some of the records you've worked on that you are extra proud of? That you'll be, if someone was to say, Show me something you worked on, Ron, you'd be like, This. Well, some of the ones that we talked about, I'm extra proud of. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm extra proud of Quadrophenia because it was my first big record that I uh recorded and mixed everything um and uh i think i'm proud of um the survivor album uh called vital signs where i had three hits on it that i produced although survivor was itself was never taken that seriously it was a kind of commercial rock band looked at but they certainly had vehicles i mean they had the uh, they had the um the uh rocky film yes. and uh you know and, and i did an album with survivor in the in the 70s uh, their first album and i we i had a, a argument with the anr guy at the record company i left the project and um my assistant engineer mike clink took over that and and did the eye of the tiger so that was great for him but they wanted me back once they got off that label so when they got on another label um and did a song for the karate kid soundtrack called moment of truth they hired me went to chicago and did that 
And then they liked that. So I did the Vital Signs album and another album after that. So I'm very proud of the, the Vital Signs album, I must say. The Heart uh, self-titled album. Uh, very proud of how that turned out. And um, I'm not really that happy with the mix on the Kiss. I think I told you that, mm. listening back to it. I think, and I've even talked to Paul Have hey, if it gets reissued, let me remix it. You know, um, love to do that, actually. I just, why don't you like um, the mix on it? I, I don't get it. I, I, I just I just think it can be better. I don't, yeah. I don't hate it. I just want to improve it. Yeah. I know it's there. I recorded all of it. So Yeah, I suppose that's the difference, <laughs> isn't it? I'm, I'm just a fan of right. you recorded Look, it. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes I listen to things and go like, what did I, what was I thinking? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I go, wow, I'm, that's pretty impressive for whatever year that was. And so uh, just the way it is, I guess. Like I said, to me, that album is just, My Way is one of the greatest songs oh, in yeah. their back catalog as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'll tell, <laughs> tell you the one that I thought that I felt the worst about in terms of like didn't have success was Reason to Live. Oh, Everybody's got a reason to the right. I thought that was a big hit. I, I and uh, but here's the problem it was Kiss, mm. you know, except for something like Beth. They, it wasn't that they, they weren't there, they had their, their audience on rock radio, but they weren't getting over to CHR radio. They just weren't going to get there. You know, the, the disc jockeys just weren't going to play Kiss. It wasn't didn't have anything to do with the songs, right? So they just, it wasn't a pop thing. It was, you know, they were, Kiss was a thing. You know, it was, yeah. and it just wasn't going there. And so um, I tried. <laughs> it's, it's weird because the, the song Crazy Crazy Nights was like number four in the UK charts. That song was huge over oh here. Yeah, no, it. I mean, we it, it it did a couple of million here. I think it wasn't like, but uh, if you know, it could have done way. If I had gotten to CHR radio here with that with that ballad, with that rock ballad, it, it would have really been something, you know. Ah, I I could honestly listen to your stories all day, Ron. But we have to bring this to an end at some point. So, Mr. Stevens, do you have any more questions for my? I do, I do. I have two, Ron. First of all, uh, one of them, which you mentioned right at the beginning of this, which was with, like I said, with your illustrious career, that you should definitely write a book. But you've just mentioned that you're already on that at the moment. So, um, how is it coming along? Well, I haven't done anything with a while i think i also mentioned that everybody else is writing a book oh yes so did, yeah. when when uh, we worked together on it my writer and i um and we put together a book proposal and when we went to put the book proposal out we weren't really getting the kind of reaction that we thought we might uh but we need to do it again because uh, uh, there was a plethora of books that came out all at the same time but um, I need to get some kind of commitment from a publisher before I go back and finish it. So we're, we're going to put that out there again to some editors. And uh, because it's timeless, it, it really, it takes the stories that I told here, 
from the late mid '60s to right up to '99 to to Leonard Skinner. That was not not Meatloaf was '95 to, to Leonard Skinner. I took it to the end of the century, and then I stopped smoking cigarettes. And there you go. I mean, I bet there's you're part of rock and roll history. Like there's, I bet there's some unbelievable stuff in there. And the fact that people aren't, you know, paying much attention to it blows my mind. So I imagine when you go back again, I think you know, it's just, just like you said with Eric Money, just again, just come on then, let's. Uh... <laughs> I, I just, yeah. just made me realise then we didn't even touch on the Meatloaf album that you worked on. Like there is so much stuff we did not get to touch in this. Oh no, we, we did not. We did not. You know, was a, great. There was four, four, four Jefferson Starship records. I did <laughs> all sorts of, uh, uh, um, all sorts of other stuff. You know, you produced our life for you, and that's the truth. Like one of the best, another one of the best rock ballads of all time. Oh, you've done too much, Ron. It's impossible to squeeze it all in in one interview. Yeah. Okay, well, invite me back. <laughs> We're gonna. That's what I was gonna say. We're definitely gonna have to yeah, go round two, a hundred and fifty percent. But the last question I had for you was: yeah. when you first started out, obviously pursuing this career uh, with with touring and then engineering and you know becoming a producer, did you ever think that this is where your life would be? Would where would you be today? Oh, um, that's a pretty good question. Um, no, I just uh, I was. I was just going with the flow. I, I think I mentioned crucial times, the phone call with, uh, with, with the, the meeting with Chris Blackwell and and the, answering the ad in Melody Maker as turning points and and uh, meeting uh, Chris and Gary at Ronnie Wood's house and having them offer me the job at the record plant as all, you know, really turning points for me. Um, and, and so I, I focused my my book proposal on those turning points and and I'm now uh, going to fill in the gaps in between all of those because I look at those those times as as uh as that it could have you know when I was uh, here's here's a, a, an important fact um when I was fired from um Island Studios and picking up Melody Maker uh I had also gone on tour with Traffic in Europe to do their sound because they were going out in Europe. And so I was doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went on an interview to to be the sound mixer for Procol Harum. And I met with those guys. And that was before I made the phone call for track plan. How about if I had how about if I had taken a job with Procol Harum? Uh, and didn't call up track plan that led to the Pete Townsend that led to the, you know, I mean, it's, there's so many, so many ways that, that life could have gone for me. I would have been in England doing the same old stuff that I left America for. It's crazy so, how life plays out, isn't it? It's absolutely yes. crazy. Absolutely. Just- just one last thing that's just come to my mind, sorry, as we were talking about the early right. stuff then. We'll, we'll let you go, I promise. Did you say no, no, that? I, Ed... I, my, my, my kid doesn't get out of school for another hour, so I'm good. I swear. <laughs> um, we got. Did you say that Airstream's still standing and still? L- if you can Google LMS, hmm. LMS Mobile Studio. Uh, it doesn't have any of the same equipment or maybe the, the interior. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure. 
but up to a year or two ago, it was still, a, it could be now gone, but it was a working studio. Now I do know Ronnie, Ronnie Lane called me up uh, after I left uh, because I built it for him. And then he employed me to, to, uh, to take it out for work. I also got paid by like for the who I, I got 50 pounds a week from Ronnie Lane and hundred pounds a week from the who the 150 quid in those days was not bad. Right. It wasn't the kind of money that, that the artist was making, but I wasn't the artist, you know, I became the artist at some point, but um, I worked my way up. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Ronnie, it's been an absolute honor hearing your stories. It really has. Sir. Right. Thank you so much for taking time out and chatting to us today. It means the absolute world. Okay. Well, let me know when it, uh, what you do with it, when it goes somewhere, when it's posted or whatever you do with it. Absolutely. And uh, keep in touch. We will. Absolutely will. Before we let you go, any plugs, yeah. social medias, websites, any records that you're working on at the moment you want to produce? Well, a promote, I, rather, I am. Whatever. Okay. I'm still, I'm still mixing. Uh, in this modern day of digital, uh, it's um, everything. Everything's done online. Uh, songs are sent, files or audio files are sent, and uh, I I do a fair amount of work through this company called SoundBetter.com. So I have a, a profile page on SoundBetter. It's got oh, that's where Paul Stanley quote was from that you that you laid out. So I do that, and I have a website, ronnevison.com, that you can, people can reach me at, and uh, that's about it. Wonderful. Absolutely amazing. It is graciously appreciated. Thank you so much for your time. You guys are fun. And uh, I did see uh, on, your, on your email, it said somebody said, the, I had a, a lot of fun. It was like a quote from somebody uh, who you guys are hilarious and, Ron and Wasserman, uh, guys, yes. yeah yeah you guys are hilarious so oh, thank you really appreciate yeah. so that. get in touch if you want to want to do some more okay 100 100 we'll deep dive a bit more into the albums that you've done now because we didn't like i said didn't touch jefferson starship we didn't touch uh meatloaf there's loads there's loads we haven't got into so we'd love to do that again i yeah. can't even remember the loads you know there's, <laughs> there's like, 150 or so that we could talk about. Yeah, something like that. That's what I was writing my questions. I was like, we're going to be here for six hours. I need to cut like 90% of these out. Like. All right. But, uh, okay. thank, thank you so much, Ron. Have a great Thanks. day. Look after yourself. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. What a way to end 2023. Like, what a fantastic interview. I loved this so much. Yeah, if you're going to go out, go on a fucking bang two weeks before the bangs in New Year. So, yeah. <laughs> absolutely unreal ron again thank you so much it was just a pleasure uh to chat to you and i love how casually his hollywood star walk of fame was behind him (laughs) gotta think gold records in the background gotta make sure that's just in the corner so that everyone can notice that there um (laughs) but yes we look forward to having you on again in the future because we didn't even scratch the surface uh, of that man's career uh it was like you've worked with so-and-so tell some stories and so-and-so tell some stories it's great <laughs> so absolutely fantastic but most importantly we really hope that you all enjoyed listening to it as much as we did recording it jay hello i've made 
probably one of the fatalist errors that you could ever make. Um, you won't understand this error because you would obviously go to a barber, but I decided to shave my head tonight. Okay. I've shaved my head, but because I've shaved my head with not enough time to shower before this show, I put a t-shirt straight on and I'm now the itchiest motherfucker <laughs> going. Um, so yeah, there is, it's everywhere. And I don't understand how it gets everywhere, but it gets everywhere. So um, if I start to rejig or scratch or whatever, I do apologize. It's just uh, a lot of ginger over me. All right. So, so like my hair was long. It was not like, it was like, not obviously like beard this long, but it was yeah. long for me. I'd left it a bit too little. So I had to like trim it down first and then oh, okay. go for the, go for the head shave thing. Um, so I should have done it a week. I, I simply do it every week. I don't know. I, for some really, it's like the shittest superpower ever. <laughs> Like I, my head just grows really quick. I can't remember the last time I saw hair on your head because you always wear a hat. Yeah, it's because nobody nobody sees this head. So <laughs> not even Kara sees this head. So let's put it that way. Wear a so. hat to bed. She can't fucking see it. Nope. <laughs> anyway, before we get started, um, I want to to bring what Britain is just so grateful. All right. This is, this is literally got to. This has got to go in the Pride of Britain Awards 2023 at least. Oh, God, right? where's this going? This is genuine story, right? Okay. From Dom- from Domino's Pizza. <laughs> Brits consume enough garlic and herb dip to fill seventeen Olympic-sized swimming pools this year. I think that's like iconic. It, it, yeah. Like that's got to be a Pride of Britain Award, surely. I for, think it should ev- be. for everyone that consumed garlic and herb, I mean, it's an elite dip. I'm not going to lie is. to you. Like, fuck the barbecue and what, honey and muscle, whatever the fucking else they do. I don't even know because it's just garlic and herb all day. <laughs> and then whoever was the genius that decided to make a bigger tub, you're a hero, an absolute hero, in in my eyes. But they keep ordering seven tubs, Dave. We might as well just sell bigger ones. <laughs> Yeah, because I used to be like, when I used to order Domino's, I'd be like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Well, I've got to have at least two or three for every slice. <laughs> I remember you doing that once. Your bag just kept emptying. It's like a clown car, like dips. Yeah, it was like, like one for the pizza, one for me, one for the pizza, one for me. <laughs> it's great. It's fucking great. It is, it is a great dip. But to be fair, that is quite impressive. That is a lot of fucking dip. Fair play. Fair play, yes. You've done a spread. Se- 17 Olympic size swimming pools. It's fucking nuts. That is incredible. Just this year. That is absolutely nuts. And I don't even know anyone that regulates a domino. So, how much dominoes are people buying? I didn't realize it was that much. Neither did I. There we are. I've always wondered, like, the sort of fast food chains, especially McDonald's. Like, I'd love to know how much they're in a the day. Oh, I know. Yeah. I bet it's fucking disgusting. Especially how much the fucking prices are going up. Yeah. Well, this is, well, I mean, I haven't had one for a while, but I imagine the CEO just like, just keep swimming, just keep oh, swimming. Yeah. Oh, this is absolutely glorious, Dennis. Are you, Dennis? <laughs> oh my God, this is glorious, isn't it, David? Um, <laughs> Scrooge McDuck in that shit into fries. Just oh, hundred yeah. percent. Not into fries, into fucking money. <laughs> um, also, I was in Tesco earlier, um, and I found a groin groomer. Okay. Right? Genuinely called groin groomer, just to shave your balls and cock. Okay. 95 quid. 
Are you are you all right, Tesco? Are you <laughs> ill? I just to shave your bollocks. A bit of manscaping. The fuck. I use yeah. a disposable. Get fucked. <laughs> oh, dude, that's that's brave. <laughs> fuck. I don't trust an electric one down there. I don't trust myself and an electric one. I'd rather do it manual. Yeah, but that's a blade. That's blades, dude. That's like full on razor blades. Yeah, it's fine. I've never, I've never, never damaged myself. <laughs> Jesus, that. Oh no. <laughs> I tend to like hold my dick away. Yeah, I do that. You're gonna and go. Ball. Yeah, like you're playing a violin. <laughs> just, throw, just throw it over the shoulder. It's like, yeah, uh, I'm joking. I'm joking. Jesus Christ, it's tempting to be suck. Um, but no, it's like, <laughs> but it, it's always the, the the bollock area. You have to be really fucking careful because oh, yeah. I've I've sliced a couple of times. I was like, oh. I didn't realize it did that because I was just like, la la la. You know, he's like getting getting straight in, and I didn't actually realize that it actually cuts you. And I was like, oh, that's kind of painful. Yeah, just a tad. Yeah, yeah. I remember having this conversation with Becky because she was on about how she doesn't need to look when she shaves down there because she knows what she's doing. I'm like, no, I fucking look because I'm not risking slicing a ball bag open. Thank you very much. I mean, that's I don't I don't even really want to have this conversation to be quite honest with you, but that's fucking dangerous shit right there. I know, right? Oh, I didn't realize my period had started early. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I've got his stomach crabs. Who left a slice of ham in the back? No. Um, ah, <laughs> oh, dude, come on, fuck. Seeing as it's Christmas, um, in about a, about ten days when this is released, this really I found this so odd, especially with this day and age, right? With the amount of people that are getting banged up, and you know talking to people they shouldn't be talking to because of age difference, etc. Do you find it really fucking weird that parents will happily take their children to visit a random dude dressed up in a fucking Santa suit, sit them on their knee, and be like, oh, lovely, just take some photos of a random guy in a random... What? Why? What is wrong with you? It is weird. Even as a parent, I've done it and sat there thinking... It's a bit fucking weird, isn't it? This is really odd. They, <laughs> when I worked for Wyvel Garden Centre in 2016, they said to me, oh, your laugh is a lot like Santa. I was like, well, that's weird because he's not real. So obviously he, Santa laughs like I do. <laughs> um, and then they were like, we would love for you to spray paint your beard silver and dress for Santa for the kids this year. And I went, no, I don't want <laughs> random children sitting on my lap. Thank you very much. Not imagine that with your hatred of children. You sat on your knee be like, I'm not real. It's all fake. I was be like, no, I'm not doing it. I can't stand no. kids anyway. So, you know, there's that. Well, yeah. um, although my nephew was lush over the weekend, but we'll get to that. But he did annoy me within a space of like 30 seconds, but still. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I just find it weird. It is. And weird. with like... I know they get checked and CRB checked and God knows what else, but it's just, it's just odd to me. I just think it's weird. And then yeah. there's people that are like, yeah, no. And then you've got a random person on your phone, like with their kid on their lap. Yeah. I'm quite fortunate in the sense that with Olivia, because she's fucking terrified of everyone and everything, she won't go anywhere near a Santa. And the one time she did, she sat on a stool next to him instead of on his lap. So I'm quite fortunate with that one. I've got like, a child scared put, of everything and everyone. So didn't you put a photo up of that? I think I think I remember that photo Possibly. when you were like, "This is the best we could do." Yeah, because <laughs> she does not like anyone or anything apart from me and Becky. Really, 
And finally, I just saw this as a great little piece of Christmas trivia for you, uh, for anyone that's not aware. I might have mentioned this last year, I can't remember. Uh, but just to let everybody know, in Home Alone, the vintage gangster movie that Kevin watches called Angels with Filthy Souls isn't a real film. Uh, it's only a one-minute scene created for Home Alone specifically, which I think is fucking amazing. That blew my mind when I found that out. I, I so, genuinely thought that was a real film for years. <laughs> So did I. I think I even looked for it at one point and was like, I'm just, 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 I'm just curious. But the fact they filmed it specifically for Home Alone is absolutely amazing. So, you know, so you know that Merry Christmas, You Filthy Animal is now a Home Alone, actual Home Alone quote rather than this film. Yeah. So, which is decent, which is decent ass, lads. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Um, but yeah, I thought I'd bring you four bits of pieces, bits of news for this week. Um, I did notice. Since we're going to a special four-way next week, I just felt it was Ooh. right just to give you a little bit of extra bits and pieces and whatnot. Not. Uh, I'm just rambling for no reason because I wanted to see how long it would take you to actually stop me talking, but you've not, so it's fine. I think I could stop you talking. How are you anyway, my friend? I'm good, I'm good. I'm a little bit tired because I've literally just finished work. Well, I'll say literally 55 minutes ago I finished work. But yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. How about you? How are you? Sure. Yeah, I'm fine. Okay, it's just it's just the way you're like. I'm fine. Like you have to like acknowledge yourself that you're Honestly, okay. I'm fine. I promise. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Why? So yeah. ask me questions. What are you questions for? Why is this gun to my head? What's going on? No, if I quit for a groom groomer, groom groomer. Why are you asking so many fucking questions? A groom groomer. So we take to a wedding. Obviously, it'll be a couple of minutes. I swear. Don't hurt me, Charlie. Well, you've got a fucking week. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, I'm all right. Um. I, I'd, I'd like really rouse myself up earlier, but I'd rouse myself up too early for the show because I felt that last week, because of being so riled up, it just added that bit of extra gold. And I was like, right, so I need to rouse myself up today. Then I got myself really riled up four hours ago. So I was like, <laughs> shit, now nah, I'm not riled up anymore. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, I've lost my, my pizzazz somewhat. Uh, I can't remember what I was annoyed about earlier. Um, it was, I think it was kids related. Uh, might have been shopping related. I, I don't know. I wasn't really entirely sure. Uh, but I got wound up about something. And I was like, this is actually a really good, like, like Rod Gilberting this sort of shit. Um, but not to the point where he, because obviously he fucking was like, had veins bursting and that sort of shit. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. I I, fact, your mindset was like, I need to be angry. What can I be angry about? Anything. Something make me angry. Well, I'm not really, not angry. So I don't think I've ever been, I don't think I've been angry in years. I don't think I ever really get to that sort of stage. I think I just tend to hit that point where I'm like mildly frustrated at something and then go, well, that's pissed me off. And so I go, well, that's actually added to it. So, you know, cheers to that. Appreciate that. Uh, thanks very much. Um, oh, I was a dude. Uh, we were driving to, uh, to Tesco and guys ran in the middle of the road and then like opened his car door in, in our lane. And I just went and I was like looking out the window going, cheers, mate. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I hate people. Um that was one. That was definitely one of them. That I hate oh, there people. We uh, there we, there we are. Standard everyday life. Yeah, pretty much. Let's <laughs> um, still anyway. Let's move on, shall we? People are just like, these got these guys are grumpy. Fucking hell. Um, how was uh, what have you been up to, my friend? Uh, not a fat lot to be honest. I've mostly been reanimating. Like now I'm back at work. I was working nights last week. I'm on been on lates now, but yeah, mostly reanimating. Um, done a bit of present wrapping, trying to find time to do that when I can uh, we went for a family meal on Saturday night for Becky's mum's birthday I saw the kids Sunday uh, that's pretty much it how was that yeah it was good fun most, most spent time with Lena because Sam's always at his girlfriend's now when I go down there so me and Lena were just chilling hitting that age though isn't it yeah. hitting that age now he's going to start to meet ladies absolutely but 
there's one thing I have done which you are going to be very proud of. Ah, oh, I think I know what's coming. Yeah, go on. I messaged you the other day because we were yeah. talking about me catching up with Daddy. So that night I was like, oh, I'm going to make sure I watch this bird thing. I watched five episodes of last week tonight back to back. Literally just so kept proud. going. My whole night so shift proud. was just watching John Oliver. I'm so proud. <laughs> I have yet to watch this week's episode. I've not seen it yet. It's... But how phenomenal is Bird of the Century? It is incredible. Absolutely. How much he pissed people off with that <laughs> and the effort he put into it. <laughs> we have phenomenal to stuff. salute our former guest, Neil McNeil, as well, for being oh. part of being part of the uh, the puppet, the model. That puppet that, was huge. <laughs> I know it's incredible, isn't it? Just uh, that show will never. It's just been renewed for three series till twenty twenty six. So I'm incredible. just like, I'm so happy because it's so great. It's one of the best things on TV right now. And the most important thing to take away is the fact that the Puteki Teki is a fantastic bird. Yeah. Like what a haircut! Phenomenal. It deserved the win. I don't care. Deserved the win by a landslide as well. Yes. It, wasn't, it wasn't even. It wasn't even fucking close. <laughs> it was just the fact that I, I put some billboards up somewhere. <laughs> this, 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 this was like you fucking hero. <laughs> no, the billboards, the plane over Brazil's beach as well. <laughs> it was the oh. ret- it was the retorts that got me even more though. It was like you just a shit zazu and all sorts of stuff. It's like fucking brilliant. It's not even the real one. That was yeah. the one I was. I wasn't that one. <laughs> That's a cartoon one. I was the t- shit real life one. Fucking yeah. There's there's nothing that man can't do. I love him with all of my heart, my loins, everything that oh. I have going. Adopt me, John Oliver. That's, that's like my life. Show. Oh, dude. I, 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 I don't know if I'll even be able to speak. And probably one of those moments, I'd be like, uh, uh. <laughs> he probably talked to me, and all of his brumminess would just come out of him. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's the dream. That is the dream. <laughs> but I'm so proud of you. How? Where'd you go for the meal? Um, we'd never been there before. I can't remember the name of it now. It was God, that weird. Good, like, yeah. That good was it? <laughs> the food was not. It was weird. We got there and I was like, "This menu is fucking cheap." I was like, oh, "Why do I get the feeling this is going to be like microwave pub food? Terrible." It was actually really nice. I was quite surprised. I had like this loaded hot dog thing. It was a hot dog and it had hash brown bites on it and nacho cheese sauce. I was like, this is a winner. I like this. This is good. But the food is great. But the only annoying bit was we asked for a table for nine people. And they put us on two separate tables. So we couldn't even oh. like all talk to each other. It was like we were on the kids' table because it was me and Becky, Olivia, and her brother, his partner, and their daughter. So I was like, we're on the kids' table. <laughs> Always the worst. I always find that when I go out on family meals as well. I always get put with the fucking children. I'm like, are you for real? And I wait, as girls, we have like a girly conversation, not really for the not really for the kids. Thanks. I'm so happy and thrilled about this. Put me with the thing I fucking hate. Don't you think that nacho cheese sauce is always a bit odd? It you always expect it to be fucking unbelievable, but it never is. Yeah, it's never the best. It's nice. I've never had it and gone, oh, I'm not eating this, but it's never quite what you expect. It's almost just like they went, what can we ask for to make a sauce out of? <laughs> Fuck it, nacho cheese? Yeah, I do. I do. It's like crunching up cornflakes, which is made, made salted caramel crunching up cornflakes. I'm like, I what are you doing? Yeah. That sounds weird. I bet they're not. I bet they're flavourless. I bet they don't taste like salted caramel at all. They're obviously just the ones that didn't make the, the actual crunching up cornflakes. They're like the substitutes. You know, <laughs> they're like, yeah. 
the second tier. Like, oh, we'll just call you salted caramel. That'll do. That'll we'll sell just, it. We'll just throw a bit of salt in the machine. It'll be fine. Can I want to know? Yeah, I just, I feel like it's, yeah. That's one of those sources that I'm like, mm, I don't really think this is nacho cheese. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was all right. Other than that, what have you been up to, my friend? Well, where do I fucking start? I've actually been out of the house. Oh, um, I was expecting sarcasm then. <laughs> first, thing, uh, first things first, I've been reanering, of course. Um, I'm only a week away from Christmas holidays, and I'm just like, come on. The beautiful thing is, um, I don't think any of my people listen to um, people. Any of my people. My people. My peeps. Welcome. <laughs> Heed the word of the ginger. Um, so... We're working till Thursday and we got our Christmas day out in Tamworth on Friday. Yes. And then both of my directors are on holiday then. They're off for Christmas. Huh. So I have three days of work where I'm like, okay, no management. Nice. <laughs> Guess who's looking after us? Go on. Fucking CEO. God damn it. <laughs> God fucking damn it. I was gonna... But who knows? Uh, so yeah, it's getting to that stage where everyone's a bit like, Cool, Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. Um, so I might just chill and I'll be there and I'll just type in, but I might just be like, yeah, I'm here. I uh, I think everyone's got to that stage now. <laughs> so, yeah. There's no point. No one can be asked. Fuck it. Who cares? So, um, yeah. So I've been doing that Rihanna in. Um, and then I'm trying to think now. I should I should always write this shit down. I never write it down. Then I always go, oh, I did that, that, that. And then afterwards I go, fuck, I didn't tell about that. <laughs> My yeah. dad had a baby. Like, she said, how did I miss that bit out? Um, he gave birth himself. That's exactly what I just said. <laughs> um, so I went back to Cheltenham on Saturday. Um, mm. went to pour for coffee. Uh, when I got tattooed. Um, I don't know if you can. You probably can't see it, but it's literally like, where is it? There, there oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, there he is. Taking it. Yeah. So it's like really close to my neck. Oh wow, um, dude. I remember why. It's just a tattoo taken me eight years. It's my entire chest for those people that don't know. It's like all across here. Yeah. Um, but I remember why it's taken me eight years to get it done. Does it hurt like fuck? <laughs> oh, I'm not joking you. I when he started, I was like, okay. Can people just talk to me? That's all I want. <laughs> just distract the shit out of me and it'd be fine. <laughs> but it's all over my collarbone and up the side of my neck, and I was a bit like, whoa. But weirdly, I don't know if you know this, the dips at the top of your shoulders. You don't feel anything. Really? How fucking... I was like, I can feel vibration, but it's actually all right. Apparently, it's a dead area in between your shoulder blades. Uh, so on the top of your shoulder, right at the top, between your neck and shoulder blades, it's like where it dips in, it's completely dead. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. And I was like, I can't feel anything. Have I... Have I is everything right? Like, <laughs> are you actually putting it... In, oh, I can feel the vibration on my neck. I was like, this is weird. But yeah, it's a completely dead area. So... I was like, I'll oh, have a bit more actually. So when that gets coloured, I'll be like, ah. But my collarbone <laughs> and like towards the chest. <laughs> no, no, no. I did not enjoy it. How much have you got left on it now? Not a lot. That needs colouring, that bit I just showed you. Um, and then it needs recolouring because one side's lighter than the other, which is annoying. <laughs> and then it's there's gonna be a bit up the middle and it's done. Oh, happy days. Done. Uh, and I to, I also got to see Scott. I saw Scott for a bit as well. Ah. So we had a bit of a chat. Because um, obviously his wife used to work for me, so he's yes. um, like, "Oh yeah, she saw you in town." I was like, "Why didn't she say hello?" He's like, "Apparently she's too far away." I was like, "How rude of her, the fucking bitch!" <laughs> <laughs> I didn't run at me. How dare she? Um, 
But it was just, it, did you know what? It was actually just really nice to see Sean. It was nice to see Scott. Um, just to see, like, see Paul uh, and whatnot. So yeah, it was just decent just to get out and do that. So then I went and saw some family. Um, and my one-year-old nephew looked at me and went, who the fucking hell is that to begin with? And I was like, and then he made me read about 15 books, but he made me read the first page of each one. <laughs> and I, the first time I was like, yeah, this is fine. I'll read you Pepper Pig, no problem. But then he'd get up and I'd be like, okay, oh, you're done with that. Okay, no worries. <laughs> and he'd just keep reading books. I was like, this is getting irritating. <laughs> I was like, I don't need any more books. And then he'd make Paris read, and he'd come back to me again. And I'm like, this is not how, this is not how it works, all right? I don't care if you're one and a half. I don't give a shit. All right, you either get me to read or Karis to read. It doesn't work both ways. Where's the loyalty here, child? And then eventually left me alone, and it was great. So, but no, he was absolutely lush. To be fair, I think it's just is is not mine, so it's fine. Like I'm just like cool. I really enjoy this, but you can go back now. I don't. I don't need you anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, I lost some family. Took some presents down because of the secret Santa. Um, I took my sister in microwave. So. She's she's got she's got a house. Oh yes, yes, I saw. Her friend is back in like two weeks, and she moves out in two weeks. <laughs> oh, oh, dude, it was touch and go, squeaky yeah, fucking ass imagine. time. Jesus. Yeah, it's, it, bless her, she's been through a lot this year. So, um, yeah, that's good. So she's got a house, which is fucking amazing. That's good. Um, other than that, me and Karis have started kin. Fuck me! Oh yes, it's amazing. Is it? We're three episodes. We're three episodes. The first week, the first episode, we're like, not really sure. Like, it's 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 all right. And then the end, we're like, oh my, okay, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It's really weird. It's what you settle and go. Okay, yeah, I can see what. Yeah, yeah, no worries. I can see what these people are doing. It's and holy shit. (laughs) And yeah, it's great. And it's 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 fucking unstoppable. Now it's great. So, have you seen our boy yet? Nope. No, no, no. But I got a feeling. I don't want to give too much away, but I got a feeling no. he's coming in the next no. one. So, uh, yeah, three in, fucking superb. Also, it's like, why do I know that guy who plays one of the main characters? Why are Littlefinger from Game of Thrones? I was like, oh, of course, <laughs> Aiden Gillen. I was looking at him going, oh, he had a mustache. <laughs> why do I know him? And I had I, to IMDb. I, I had to I, IMDb, and I was like. Oh. So that's really it's, fucking cool. It's driving me, man, because obviously I've been watching Smallville and one of the main characters in it, I know her face. And I've looked on IMDb and I don't recognise anything I've seen her in. I've gone through a Wikipedia. I don't recognise anything. But I know her face and it's driving me mad. What? Possibly. Now, unless she's got like a doppelganger, there's another actress that looks just like her or something. I don't know because it's driving you, me insane. Those ones you must have wanked to. Must have. Must have. Recognise a face must have been in there. Yeah, it must be in Backdoor Sluts 9 or something. Oh, so I've only seen 8 and 10. That's fine. Not the 7. That's kind of weird. <laughs> I came in late. The store is too far now. I might as well just go. I'll catch up. It's fine. They're in the back doors of restaurants and pubs now. So, you know. I don't well get say. past the opening credits. <laughs> the bit where they jiggle and dance. Um, which I've always find weird at the start of porn videos. It's just dance for a bit. You're like, okay. Uh, where was I? So watch Kim. Uh, yes. And it's great. And Keris has loved it as well. And we're on the season finale of season two of Ted Lasso, which Ooh. we are loving at the moment. So um, about to start the new series after series three. Uh, and Slow Horses is back. 
So it's been an absolutely unbelievable ride. Uh, loving that in a moment as well. But I'm one of those annoying people. I don't like having 15 things on the go at once. I like yeah. having one finish to completion, then start the next. I can't. It's like people who read like four books at once. How? How are you doing that? Makes no sense. Um, so yeah, it's breaking me slightly. That we've got like 15 shows on the go. Uh, but hopefully we'll catch we'll catch up at some point. I'd be like, right, can we just watch one? Th-? But I was doing, oh, can we just watch one thing, please? Can we just watch one thing and go from there? Yeah, of course we can. Fancy starting that? Yeah, all right, sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! I don't mind starting another thing if it's like a weekly show, but if I'm binging something, I need to just do one at a time. Otherwise, I'm going to get lost and confused. Well, there's only one series of kin. So we're going to watch that, and then we're going to watch Boat Story, because obviously yes. former guest Ethan Norris is in that, so we want to make sure that I'm up to date with everything, so that when we have them back on the show, we can go, oh my god, that was unbelievable. So um, we're going to want Baz for Kin, 100%. Might even see if we can get the director. That's a conversation for another time, not on here. Sorry, everyone. Um, it's just it's just blowing my mind at the moment. But other than that, dude, like, oh, I went to Bristol today. Oh, there you are. To work. Um, met my boss. She came down from Birmingham. Uh, to find out that our contract with Regis Hotels is over. So we were like, oh, cool. So we sat at the coffee shop all day. <laughs> it was Jesus all right. Christ. I had a guy ask me if I'd been to New York City. And I was like, funnily enough, I went in February. And he was like, love America. Who's your favorite rapper? I went, NF. He's like, oh, I won't tell anyone, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> it's like, it genuinely is NF. Like, you can tell as many people as you like. I don't really... I'm not sure other people will give a shit. So it was weird. very, very weird. And then later on in the, in the day, I had a guy sit next to me who fucking stank and just kept going and kept looking at me going, really weird, really weird. And he had his phone on. He'd rang some company, I'm assuming, because it had that stupid song playing and then going, You are caller number oh. seven in the queue. And then the music comes on fucking full blast. And then he rolled a fag and fucked off, and it was really weird. Um, yeah, odd. Odd moment. Bristol is a lovely place, but full of rare people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a decent day. It was all right. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, but other than that, I think I think we're good. Um, <laughs> Double-checking the memory banks. I'm just, I'm just, I know I've got a really fucking busy weekend coming up, so I'm like, I'm very tired uh, <laughs> because I had to get very early today to go to Bristol, so I'm a bit like... Fuck. And we're recording tonight. I'm playing tomorrow night. I'm playing Thursday night. I'm going to Tamworth on Friday, then London at the weekend. So I'm just like, I need to really fucking calm the ass down. Um, gone from nothing to fucking loads in one go. It's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but, Jamie, I yes, believe sir. we're all caught up. We are indeed. All right. Is this thing on? Well, howdy doody, everybody. This is Braden Berry from Say We Can Fly, founder of Stay Cozy Clothing. Your one-stop shop for the coziest, most fashionable hoodies, t-shirts, and more. Gorsh, Mickey. That's right, folks. And we're proud to say that we are now sponsoring... The Chronicles of Podcast. Ouch. Hosted by Tom and Jamie. <laughs> like, you can get 10% off, man. That's right, Shaggy. Just use the special code, The Chronicles, at checkout. Oh, boy. Oh. Now, it's time for your favorite segment of the week. Oh, come on, Caleb. Stop counting creatures. Do you want to know something? Callum will be able to tell you. And Callum's treachings. It's cereal soup. Ooh. 
Hello, this week's treat chains come from the set of my own podcast, That Gym Couple Podcast, that I host with my partner, Lucy, where we discuss all things gyms, fitness, gym anxiety, and a bunch of other stuff in between. If you do have the opportunity to come and check us out at That Gym Couple Podcast on Spotify and YouTube, we'd very much appreciate it. So make sure you check out That Gym Couple with Callum and Lucy every week. Make sure you subscribe and you check them out. We love our Callum. We we love our treacher. He'll be here next week. So yeah, we will. the Christmas special. It's gonna be sick. Um anyway, Jamie, let's get into the nitty-gritty. Yes. What is Callum treaching us this week? A poster stamp has more value the further you send it. Barking. Uh, do you know it's a yeah. Point. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's <laughs> annoying. <laughs> yeah. I'm selling my records at the moment. And every time PayPal pops up my watch, I'm like, oh, God, please be the UK. <laughs> please be the UK. <laughs> because the difference is insane. You can never really guess it. Because it seems to be different every time you go to the fucking post office. Well, put it this way. I was posted. I'm just going to sound right old men now. For anyone that wanted funny, give me a minute. That's good. <laughs> um, I was posting myself first class track to £7.50 first class track because I thought they've paid for this they've paid a lot of money I want to make sure it gets to them yeah. it's now £8.50 in the space and of like, a week it just changed overnight and I was like oh well I've been posted for a while but recently it's gone to, I think I got to 8.15 sorry it's gone to 8.15 but still it's like fucking hell so America's I stamps for like 50p <laughs> yeah <laughs> Australia's 20 quid but America's 20 quid good figure they work it out. It must be a tax thing. Must be a tax thing. Fuck knows. I'd love to know. I wonder though if Australia, the plane goes around America to get there, or all the fucking way around. Really. <laughs> I'd like That's to know always it goes the shortest route. But... You never know. Yeah, I, I yeah because it's the same price. Yeah, it's really but weird. It is really weird, but I don't know why that's a thing. I mean, is that why people collect them? Maybe. Because then do they increase in value as you go? I mean, it's probably, no offence to me, stamp collectors. It's nothing that's really made me go, I really want to collect stamps. Um, you know, but I remember um, having a book. I, I bought a book and I'd forgotten all about it. It was just in my bag. Um, and I was cleaning my bag out. I was like, oh. And obviously the Queen had sadly had passed on. And I still had four first-class stamps with the Queen's head on. And I was like, oh, look at that. I bet they're worth fuck all. Um, brought anything out with his head on it, have they? I think it's in the, is it in the process. I've probably done by now. It'll be dead tomorrow. So, just, you know, they'll bring it all out and it's like, King Charles has sadly passed on. <laughs> like, I'm not sure. He was 15 million. So I wonder if that's um, why they haven't, because they're just like, he's probably going to die soon. If we hold out a little bit longer. Why do we still have a monarchy? That's a question for another time. Oh, yeah, but know. yeah, I don't want to get into this. <laughs> Welcome to the Chronicles of Sadcast. Um, so, we'll yes. just moan about everything. Should we just get back to the comedy? Shall we? Uh... Yeah, let's not moan about the prices. This is when the second treat is just like, is even more like intricate and fucking well thought out. And we're like, oh my God, yes. Absolutely. God, Callum, you're so full of wisdom. I must follow you. You're like my Messiah. Um, that's just reminded me of. Um, Life of Brian. I was <laughs> blind and now I can see. Oh. <laughs> um, but Jamie, what else is Callum supposedly treating us this week? 
everybody looks less intimidating while holding grocery bags. Yeah. <laughs> right, we're back on track now. Now we're back. <laughs> now we're back on track. I lo- That's so true. I love that. Come on, that. Oh. I'll bat you like this fish. Uh, <laughs> About these apples, <laughs> it's, it's, it is so true, though. Like, oh, uh, you're out there, mate, with your fucking Asda. I remember there's a shop called Netto. Do you remember Netto? Scandinavian for value. Pick up a can of Tango for just nine p. Netto, it's Scandinavian for value. Yeah, English for shite, and <laughs> it was. That's what my dad used to say. Um, oh, I remember something I want to say. So I never, I just forgot. I'm about to say it in a minute. Um, yeah, but it was only up north. It was never down here, which is weird. Um, but people used to absolutely rip the fuck out of you if you shop there. And really? now people go, and now people go mental for Aldi and Lidl. Yeah, I know. It's bonkers, <laughs> it, isn't it? The world has gone insane. It was like people used to hate talking on phones on loudspeaker, and now every fucker talks on loudspeaker. Now every fucker plays music really loudly on their phones. You're like, go away. I still hate it. <laughs> I've never changed that mentality. I phone to fucking head or use headphones. I Not use headphones. I only do it if I'm in the privacy of my own abode. Um, or if I'm like working away, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm not listening at all. Um, I was about to say at the beginning, I was in, I think it might have been B&M. I was in a shop. I think it was B&M. And shitty Christmas music was playing. Yes, and yeah. it reminded me of my dad. So you know how I love to change song lyrics? Well, it came, my father passed it down to me when I was a wee lad. And um, I don't know what's like, rocking around the Christmas tree. Mm. Where she says, later we'll have some pumpkin pie and do some carolin. Yes. If you listen really hard, it sounds like she says, later we'll have some fucking pie and do some carolin. <laughs> so we sing that all the time, which really makes me laugh. <laughs> But yeah, if you yeah. listen really hard to Rock Around the Christmas Tree, he it sounds like she sings, Leia will have some fucking pie and do some caroling. And you'll never be able to ever hear it the, the, the correct way ever again. And it's absolutely superb. So oh, yeah. listen to that now. Um, but yes, going back to the grocery bags. Uh, yes. Sorry, Callum. I, I keep, we keep doing that, tangenting and you know digressing off the uh, actual topic at hand here. I would love to see like Death by Lidl. Uh, do you know what I mean? It's like you, you have your grocery bags, but you can only attack with whatever is in them. And uh, it's your weapon of choice, wasn't it? So, oh, I'd be like the most fucked up version of supermarket sweep ever. But you can't look either. You have to wind up the grab. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. Someone needs to make that show. Just like, <laughs> this banana shit. <laughs> um, I've got that- a muller corner. How about yeah. <laughs> Baguette, excellent! It's crusty roll. Um, I wonder if anybody's actually threatened. There's got to, have, got to have done. But it's not, oh. Drop it, and yeah. But it's a very funny image. I'd love to see that. I used to love when I worked in Morrison's and stuff. The Pete, the guys that act like the bags aren't heavy when they clearly are. They're like, this isn't heavy. I've got this. It's no problem at all. You can see their face like. <laughs> It's always it's so misleading. I think when you fill shopping bags, I was like, "Oh, I'll put the jars in there, it'd be fine." And I put the frozen food in here, it'd be fine. Then I'm like, "Fuck!" And then you have, I have to walk up three flights of stairs. Like, oh yeah, you do. Awesome. And Karis is the slowest walker in the world. Awesome. And she's in front. Yeah, okay. that's, that's what I mean. I'm like, 
need to get these fucking stairs. <laughs> it's because I don't want to run all the way back fucking down to come all the way back fucking up again. I'm too fat for that shit now. Oh, I get it. I carry as many bags as I can from the car, let alone down for Dude, that's like stairs. nothing. <laughs> Precisely. That's nothing for you. I know, but I'm still too lazy to carry it because do several journeys. But it's that Michael McIntyre joke, isn't it? Where you, peru- you peruse the boot. Yes. <laughs> This is all going in, in one fucking go. <laughs> that is me. Wife's there, shoes off, fuck off. Anyway, <laughs> um, shall we get to the final treat today? We've, yeah, died, got, we've, we've gone off on a massive fucking tangent there. Jamie, what else has come to this week? The person who invented headphones deserves to win the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> and some. And some, yeah. And fucking sir. So if you've listened to Callum's and Lucy's podcast, that gym couple, headphones are... A hot topic, especially being in a gym when people walk in, you're like, "Oh my god, don't fucking speak to me." Yeah. And these these beauties, you can just go like and pretend that like no one's there, and it's absolutely fucking wonderful. So there's nothing worse than going to the gym without headphones, anyway. Oh, you have to listen to the oots, 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 oots. You're like, "Oh, I can't, I can't." And you do like half work. I go, "I'm going home. I can't be dealing with this." Looks like I know they play music that's supposed to make you feel energetic and get shit done, but to me, but they play music that makes me want to walk the fuck back out the door. It just yeah. drives me mad. I hate the music they play in gyms. But I love I love headphones when you have to walk home in the dark. Um, that's probably like the worst time to wear them, but still. Probably. I but, I near, but I you know, because everywhere is just filled with like who got some change. Um and also and I you know, just prayed that out. And um, you know, there's just moments where you just don't want to interact with people or speak to people and they're just the greatest thing ever. I like to ring people when I'm walking in, in yes. the dark. Just have some company, because then you know that if you're talking to somebody, genuinely, most of the time, people leave you alone. Yes. I, so, it, yeah, I agree. Regardless of who they are, like they tend to be like, get, oh, I was talking to someone, oh, I'll wait. But you've walked off by then, and it's great. <laughs> I'll mug him in a bit. I don't want to disturb his <laughs> conversation. <laughs> hey, I've been mugged. It's not fucking pleasant. So um, <laughs> oh, well, there we are then. <laughs> Chat them? No, Birmingham. Ah, oh, challenge for me. Anyway, um, that's the story for the time. Uh, <laughs> this is going, fuck, what's happened to these guys? Jesus Christ. <laughs> the year's wrapping up. Our brains have melted. It's fine. It is also half past 11 in the, at night. So Yeah, there is also that. There's Jamie's on those lame shifts. <laughs> yeah, I looked, at the, I looked at the calendar and went, oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> I hate them so much. The worst time. Of video. Anyway, that's not the point. Uh, Callum, thank you so much again. I know we probably butchered every single one you said, um, but still, it's always a pleasure. And we're really, really looking forward to having you on the show properly next week yeah. for the Chris- for the 2023 Christmas special. So it's going to be absolutely wonderful. We are also, however, joined by legendary TikTok specialist Mally Malpass as well. It's going to be a big four-way here, boys. Um, big shout out to Mally for covering for me, obviously, when... I'd had dental surgery back in the summer, so it feels that feels like fucking ages ago now. I've done it, I know, yeah. It's so crazy. All that bone's gone now. Like every, I could feel it come back through. It's completely gone. Eat. So it's wonderful. So happy that that saga is over. It was weird because obviously getting tattooed over the weekend didn't compare. So I think that was also in my head. I was kind of going, "This isn't that bad, you know." Like that's, it's that's sucked, but at least <laughs> nobody's yanking fucking teeth out of my face. You know, it was the worst pain imaginable. I know you don't like the dentist, so I'll shut up talking now. Yeah, please do. Um, <laughs> Before I cry. Anyway, it's time to move on. Yes. 
It's time for some journal. And welcome to another edition of Tom's Journal. Welcome to another edition of Tom's Journal. Are you ready, Jamie? I'm ready. I'm strapped the pre, in. The pre-Christmas journal. Me. God, this swim at Barish Resorts. Fucking amazing. Him. You're in the bath again. You're drunk, aren't you? sake <laughs> we're starting off with a stupid one i like it let's go this is elite and i completely like didn't even think about like i'd forgotten this had even been a thing back in the day sharpening a pencil at the bin was the childhood equivalent of taking a fag break It's felt like you were getting a break from doing any work. From work, yeah. Of... I was like, oh, do you know what? I might just snap my pants. Yeah. I'm going to go slow as I possibly can. Anyone got a sharpener? Anyone got a sharpener? <laughs> oh, those are the days. Like for some know, <laughs> We used to love those days. Helps if I have my charger on. My laptop almost died. Oh, um, Every bone in my body cracks as I rise from my chair. Yes, I would like to party. <laughs> I feel like this is us right now. Or oh, this was us a while ago. Okay. Uh, Sunday, diet starts tomorrow. <laughs> Monday, gym and salads. Yes, I can do this. Tuesday, God, I feel so good. This is absolutely amazing. Wednesday, I wonder if they deliver. <laughs> Thursday, right, it's cheat day, it's a cheat meal. Leave me alone. Friday, I should be happy with who I am. Who cares? Saturday, God, I fucking hate myself. Sunday, diet starts tomorrow. <laughs> and it's a vicious circle that happens every fucking week. Oh, yeah. I'm currently going through that at the minute. I'm like, I need to do something about it. I'll put so much weight on. I'm like, it's Christmas. So new year, new me. But no, I'm just fucking, I hate that saying. So, but yeah. I'm um, I'm actually going to do that. But I'm not in the new year, new me bullshit. No. I want to really fucking enjoy my Christmas. I know we're having a massive Chinese takeaway on new year. So I'm like, Chinese takeaway new year. And then I am getting back in that gym and I am kicking my fucking ass because I'm disgusted with how big I've got. Yeah, I just need this to fuck off. And then... We're golden. My neck problems. Oh, you weren't specific. So I was like, no, you want your head to a bit? No, no, no. Yeah. No. It wasn't I had, very... I had physio the other day and he said he reckons about another four to six weeks. And I should be okay. So. And then it turns out it was your hip. Yeah, probably no, my fucking neck. <laughs> this blew my mind. The fact that we got a Bond movie in 2006 and 2008... But not 2007, the only year with 007 in it for a hundred years. Doesn't sit right with me. What a missed opportunity. I know. What idiot works in their marketing department? I would I have saved the one from 2006 and just kept it till January the following Casino year. Royale. Oh, and that was their comeback as well. It would have been perfect. Great film. That's a fucking superb film, that oh, is. Fucking idiots. I know. You know you like the stupid ones, right? Oh, God. Her. I like guys who think about the future. Him. 
I drank pineapple juice before this date. Her what? Him what? <laughs> oh, God, that's so fucking stupid. <laughs> oh, I like it, though. <laughs> Hang on. Just to make sure I'm going to read this the right way around. So much editing to do. Sorry. I'm so sorry. HBO Max tweeted this out. We mistakenly sent out an empty test email to a portion of our HBO Max mailing list this evening. We apologize for the inconvenience. And as the jokes pile in, yes, it was the intern. No, really. And we're helping them through it. Someone replied, and this is fucking amazing. Okay. Dear intern, when I was 25, I made a PDF assigning each employee to the Muppets. They reminded me of. I meant to send it to my work friend, but I accidentally sent it to the entire company. My supervisor, Beaker, wanted to fire me, but the owners, Bert and Ernie, intervened. <laughs> Bravo. Amazing. Bravo. Absolutely amazing. I now want to compare all of my work people to Muppets. That's my new te- next task. I just think that's excellent. I'm so happy that the owners kept them. What's funny thinking about it? One of the girls at work is named after what well, her nickname is after a Muppet. It's fucking great. Um, Jamie, we are officially in Spotify wrapped no man's land. You can listen to absolutely whatever the fuck you want for 31 days, and it's completely off the record. It's like the purge, but for listening to Crazy Frog. such a good point I've listened to so much sea shanty this week it's insane <laughs> why it's fucking great that Nathan Evans wallet is it Wallerman or whatever it is yeah fucking yeah. absolutely amazing I was like I'm just gonna smash a shit out of this now enjoy it and then I won't listen to it for the next 11 months <laughs> no one needs to know <laughs> it's just really catchy I just, I just find myself like just loving life it's great fair enough so this is a text message between Dumbledore and Harry Potter. Oh, God. Harry. So, sir, according to the prophecy, I can only die from Voldemort killing me, right? Dumbledore. Yes, Harry, that is correct. Harry. So, hypothetically, if I were to hypothetically roll down all the stairs in a shopping cart... I hypothetically wouldn't die. Dumbledore, I'll meet you at the Gryffindor's Tower in 15 minutes. I'll bring the camera. You bring the cart. Hi, I'm Harry Potter. Welcome to Jackass. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to see that. Just Harry's adventures of trying to kill himself, knowing it won't work. I didn't know. Bob said I've never seen it, so I didn't know that was a thing. I just read it and went, that sounds pretty fun. I think Jamie will enjoy that. I did. You were correct. Um, I'll give you a couple more because I've been long getting this for so long. Um, is anyone out there still ironing anymore? Is ironing still a thing? I, I mean, I was brought up to believe adult life would involve a lot of ironing, but simply hanging stuff up seems to work just fine. I hate ironing with a goddamn passion. If I have a job interview or I'm going to a wedding, that is the only time you'll see me ironing anything. Yeah, probably the same as me. <laughs> I same as me. brought a new iron because I was like, do you know what? I'm going to actually start ironing my work shirts and stuff like that. Let's, let's, let's take a bit more pride. I took it out of the box, put it in the cupboard, and then it moved since. 
Nice. Yeah. There we are. I fucking hate ironing. Partner, what are you buying a B&M? Me. I mean, come on, love. It's not how it works. B&M will let me know when I get there. Fucking loopy. Because you go in for one thing and you walk out with 20. Yeah. Oh, I want to, this is just a big load of shade that I think is fucking hilarious. I did not watch it this year. ITV could put fucking Fred West in the jungle for all I care. You can guarantee he'd make the final three and have people on Facebook saying, seems like a top bloke. Oh, Garen fucking teed. Why? Two years in a row they put some twat politicians in and they've done really well. Why? Because people are fucking morons. And that was another edition of Tom's Journey. And it was glorious. Also, by the way, have you seen that Nigel Farage wants to team up with Boris Johnson? For what? As politicians to try and take over the Tory party. I need to move out of here. (laughs) It's about getting into schools and talking to young people. Because, you know, I I know that people can change. Uh, and And it's about talking to people and getting them to understand and perhaps step back from violence and and prejudice and whatever. And we just need to work together and keep on the good fight there. Absolutely. Hey there guys, we are ecstatically happy to announce that we are associated with the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. The times are changing and with the unfortunate death of Sophie, those changes have made a massive impact for the future. If Sophie was with us still today, I can guarantee what you are doing will still be reaching so many lives of young teenagers, young adults, and those who wish to be as different as possible. So thank you very much. To find out more about this incredible foundation and all the work they do, and more importantly, how you can help, head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com. Mr. Stevens, Mr. Stevens. It's an audience participation time. Participate, bitch. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to participate in Jamie's participation challenge. This week, I said, everyone likes different smells like candles and roses, but most of us also like smells that are a little bit weird. So this week I asked, what are your favourite weird smells that you secretly like? What say you, Mr. Stevens? Personally, I enjoy petroleum. I, I don't know why. So I enjoy much. petroleum. It's just wonderful. I don't know why. I don't know. I genuinely thought I was one of the only people that enjoyed the smell of petrol. And then I put this question out into the world. I think and- a lot of people do. Then what <laughs> petrol stations are missing out on? They should play Afroman because I got high at every single gas station. Yes, they should. <laughs> and just let people go, one for you, one for me. One for you. <laughs> Have a drink, car. Now let me out. But, oh, yeah. Oh. I know. <laughs> Whenever Becky's like, do you, want to, do you want to go put the petrol? I'm like, yeah, okay. Sniffing the air. 
<laughs> so the window down. Ah. <laughs> it's such a great smell. It's great. <laughs> anyway, let's get some audience answers. Sarah Greenwood says diesel or tape adhesive. What's that? I have no idea. I was hoping you might know. <laughs> Why don't you Google it? I didn't think that far ahead. Of course you didn't. <laughs> Molly Haining, former guest. Gasoline. Is it? It's there. We've got it quite a few times. Abby Lloyd. Got to be petrol. Again. So, But also tumble dryers. They have this distinct smell I can't place and I love it. I get what she's saying. The only... Gets what she's saying. I'll try that again in English. I get what she's saying. The only way I could describe it is it smells of warm. Or dry or clean. Yeah, I don't know how to describe dry it. Dry washing, I suppose. Like... Yeah. It is a nice smell. I get it. I get what she said. Whatever Lenore or Comfort you used. Yeah, pretty much. Lizzie Edwards says, you know that fresh smell when it's rained, when it's been so hot and sunny and you smell the freshness on the grass? I absolutely love that smell. No, not for you? No. And also fires. I love the smell of burning. A little bit concerned. <laughs> but there we are. <laughs> Matt Rose, always petrol. So, so much petrol. Um, but of course, we have to have a few silly answers in here. Phil Jolly, a smouldering pyre of my enemies. Fair, fair, Phil. Fair, can't argue that. Ollie Nightingale, new sports equipment. I think because I was all so excited when I was younger to get a new kit. I know that feeling. I used to be the same. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Chrissy Sweeney Fitzgerald says deep heat does it, people actually like the smell of deep heat there we are no who does that I have no idea petrol again blown out candles gone out matches I get that one yep, yeah, it's a nice smell. yeah 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 and Vicks no one likes the smell of Vicks do they it hurts my nose it's good it's good stuff <laughs> you are weak you weak apparently so <laughs> Violet Autumn says I love the smell of dusty old books I think new books are nicer. Yeah, I like the smell of That new book yeah. smell is lovely. Yeah, it's a great smell. <laughs> Harrison Smith, my dear boy, gets involved and says diesel as well. And freshly dug compost. Really? Yeah. It's a bit of a weird one. But there we go. Jason Gullick. Cheap toilet paper, finger surprise. Don't pull that face, we all do it. No, Jason. Because he was doing it. He used to do it at work all the time. That's probably why he was so happy and laughing all the time. <laughs> why did he tell people? It's Jason for you. Uh, Jerry Keane. You absolute monster, Jerry Keane. Marmite on burnt toast. They're two horrific smells. Yes. Must, be an, must be an Irish thing. I don't know. Must be. Must be. <laughs> Martin Skerritt. Sometimes I Dutch oven myself. It's like a delicacy. Fucking <laughs> dick. I love that he put sorry again afterwards. <laughs> Joe Smith, compost reminds me of my dad. Yeah. And horse that's where Harrison gets it from. Maybe I was gonna say that's where Harrison gets it from. And horse manure reminds me of my childhood buddy Sonny. Yeah. Okay. What's weird is she's not the only person to say horse shit. Because Lisa Clemens says horses, even the manure. Great memories of being around them and helping my sister when she worked in a stable. I've never smelt horse shit and gone, delicious. Was it there three times? Someone else said, oh, 
Saskia Turner Edwards says farm smells. So that might that kind of also counts as that. And she says I don't see that right. No, she, oh no, she said the smell of burning hooves with the farrier. Oh, okay. She's, she's a rider, so... I was going to say, I didn't know what that meant, so I didn't read it out. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I <laughs> thought she was the other one that had been about no, farm. No. Former guest PR Brown. Fuck's sake. Teen Spirit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was the only one that said that as well, I think. I was expecting that. But when I read it, I was like, that's going to come up again. But it surprisingly didn't. <laughs> Amy Mousy, Petrol. Jet fuel, the mechanical smell you get from oils and lubricants on gears and pistons and the like. She's a massive Formula One fan. Massive Formula. She does volunteering uh, for the Formula One at Silverstone every year and the MotoGP oh. as well, I think. So she absolutely loves it. So that didn't shock me in the slightest. <laughs> Steve Murray. Cocaine. Fuck's sake, Steve. Cat <laughs> <laughs> Finch, Sharpie marker pens. I get that. I've seen people. I don't. Like... <laughs> yes. No. 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 I've never done it. I don't get it myself, but I've seen other people seem to really like this now. I'll give you two more. Claire Jones, nail varnish remover. Okay. WD forty. Petrol. Terps. I'm with her. I'm thinking she's a little bit weird, but I'm with her. And this is where she lost me on the last one. Burning lipstick. Okay. Now, I don't know if this is supposed to be burning, and then lipstick is another one, or burning lipstick, because who the fuck sets fires to lipsticks and smells them? I'm going to have to have words, because very confused. Strange girl. And last but not least, as usual, our good friend Mally Malpass has posted on every single version of this, so he's given us three fantastic answers. First, we'll go with a normal answer. He says, burnt hair. When I smoked, I used to singe the back of the, the hairs on the back of my hands and arms with a lighter and then sniff it. As you do, Mally. As you do. And he says, I'm no good at smelling. It's the dyslexia. I have trouble smelling my own name. Fuck's sake. And last but not least, I very much enjoy smelling what The Rock is cooking. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We love it. Fucking fantastic. Someone had to put that. I'm so proud it was you, Mally. <laughs> Classics as always. Thank as you always. to absolutely everyone that once again participated in Jamie's participation challenge. I think my dad's was well weird, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. That's why I didn't read that one either. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but thank you to everyone that participated. Uh, again, once again on the weekly, we really enjoy it. We love when everyone gets involved. So thank you so much. Uh, but if you enjoy Jamie's participation challenge, Callum's teachings, Tom's journal, the absolute God knows what that we talk about after the interview and the interview itself, then you enjoy the other 113. I've lost count with how many shows we've done. This is insane. <laughs> 113 editions. Uh, wherever you get your podcast from, it'd be Spotify, Google, Apple. I mean, rap's not a thing now. So listen to us to your heart's fucking content and then don't tell anybody after in January. Uh, it's all no, good. I know. I, I was joking. Of course. <laughs> listen to us every fucking day. I might put the hit. We should put the hypnotoad in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Chronicles of Podcast is great. Chronicles <laughs> of Podcast is good. Um, but we'd like you to come on down to YouTube at the Chronicles of Podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. 
excuse me, so sorry. Make sure you hit that bell to get notified of when all new videos are, uh, yes, when all new videos are released and comment to your heart's content. I think it's the time and how late it is. My brain is just not working right now. Um, I've been up for a very long time. I'm almost so there. sorry. Almost I know. Sorry, everyone. Like, <laughs> slurred speech. And, am I having a... No, I'm joking. Um, so, get on YouTube, at the Chronicles Podcast, hit that subscribe button, hit the bell to get notified when new videos are released, and comment to your heart's content. You can find... All our interviews are on there. All of our shows are on there. All of our hashtag WBW Wayback Wednesdays are on there. Our Bloodstock interviews from 2022 and 2023 are on there. Our 2000 Trees interviews from 2023 are on there. Two Bloodstock vlogs for the Sophie Lancaster Foundation are on there. And our Dublin Crust vlog is on there as well. There is so much. And we're releasing little snippet clips of interviews for you to enjoy. So if, you don't, if you're unsure who someone is, you can watch that little snippet and go, I actually quite have the cut of his jib, as Jamie would say. And you go and fucking listen to it. It's absolutely glorious. You can also come and find us on our Facebook page at the Chronicles of Podcast. Hit that like button, share it to your heart's content, put some memes in there, some gifts, whatever you want. Just let us know that you're that you're a fan. Let us know who you want to have on the show. That'd be great if you really want to. That'd be don't have to, but let us know if you do. That'd be wonderful. Um, but because I've been spaffing on for so long and it's so late and I forgot what's going on, where else can you find us? Checking out the incredible back catalogue of work from our wonderful guest, Ron Neverson, this week. Absolutely. And on our Twitter, slash X, at TCO Pod. And whilst checking out the back catalogue of this week's guest, Ron Neverson, uh, and you're on our Twitter, slash X, what the fuck they call it these days, where else could you find us? Accepting the fact that the Pateki Teki is the greatest bird in the universe. Best answer you've ever given. Or on our Instagram at TCO Pod. You can also find us on TikTok at TCO Pod. You can find us on LinkedIn at the Chronicles of Podcast. Make sure you click us on there. Or you can come on down to our gorgeously sexy and beautiful little website at www.thechroniclesofpodcast.com. You can find out all about us on there. All of our shows and episodes are on there. All of our affiliations and sponsors are on there. And of course, our shop. Get yourself some decent TCO Pod merch for Crimbo. Be graciously appreciated. So, to recap, that is TCO Pod on all social media or the Chronicles of Podcast on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button to keep up to date with all the latest news and interviews. And I'm now going to throw you over to Jamie. Oh, yeah. Before we get out of here, let's say thank you to a few of our friends. Every single piece of music you hear on this show is brought to you by the wonderful singer-songwriter, Matt Roberts. Make sure you check him out on all social medias, at Matt Roberts Music. Make sure you're checking out all of his wonderful music. May we recommend his latest single, Rat Race, or our incredible theme song, Once in a Lifetime. Go check them all out, because they're all absolute bangers, as the kids say. And of course, we have to say a massive thank you to the wonderful Mr. Braden Barry and his Stay Cozy Clothing. Head on over to www.staycozyclothing.com. Take a look at all the wonderful items of apparel you can see on there, whether it be that T-shirt that Mr. Stevens is wearing, that hat that adorns his beautiful head, whatever it may be, add that to your... Di- check. Oh, my God, I'm tripping over my words today. Add that to your basket, enter the discount code, The Chronicles, and get yourself 10% off your order. To give you some update in the world of Mr. Barry himself, head on over to his other brand-new shop, SayWeCanFly.shop. Again, some more incredible pieces of apparel on there. Absolute stunning, as always, because this man is a designing genius. Go check that out right now. And last but not least, we have to say thank you to the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. They are stamping out prejudice, hatred and intolerance 
everywhere. And I mean everywhere, because as I say every week, this is not a UK issue. This is a global issue where people are being treated differently in the alternative community simply because of the way they dress and the music they listen to. It is about time this come to an end and we let people just enjoy what they want to enjoy in life. If you're not familiar with Sophie's story, please head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com. Get yourself familiar with her story. Find out what you can do to support. It would mean the absolute world. And please share that message out into the world because there may be people out there that aren't familiar and could help. And last but not least, a massive thank you to my wonderful co-host right here. Appreciate that, my friend. Thank you very much. Right back at you. Literally right back at you. Um, Jamie, another absolutely, well, what can I say actually is what a great way to end the interviews for 2023. Absolutely. What a fantastic way to end. I can't believe we're already here again. Like the years just disappear. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> crazy. Ron, again, thank you so much for taking time out to sit and chat to us. We massively appreciate it. It truly meant the world. Um, and we look forward to speaking to you again in 2024. But Jamie, as for this week, we will see you all next week with Callum and Mally for the Christmas special. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.